gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Sports Angle. Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us. Coming up on today's show, going to be joined by Matt Zivick of Trojan Wire and also part of the College Griniron Podcast Network as uh, we'll be talking with uh, Matt about a USC and college playoff picture. Also, uh, some conference realignment with the Pac-12, Big Ten, Big 12, and the TV contract situation. We'll break that all down with Matt when he joins us coming up later on. Plus, we'll have Coach Bo's football picks presented by O'Connor Advisory Group, as well as our Big Skin Picks Against the Spread. We'll have our Big 12 breakdown, look around the NFL, and our Tom Fullery story of the week coming up at the end of today's show. Tom Bridges joins me as always, Tom. Uh, happy early Thanksgiving to you, my friend. Um, what is uh, your favorite thing about Thanksgiving? Me, it's it's my favorite holiday of the year. I like it better than Christmas, personally. Or, are you with me in that camp? Uh, what do you like about Thanksgiving? Is this, this your favorite holiday? No, no, it's really not close to be honest. Uh, my favorite holiday is New Year's Eve. Um, I always like a fresh start. Um, even if it only lasts a month or two, but, um, with that put aside, um, as far as Thanksgiving goes, um, my aunt B aunt B good friend of the show. Aunt B it's been a while since she's been on, but, um, she is a hell of a baker and a hell of a cook. And I think that's kind of where I get my, uh, chef Tom from. Um, just, well, I get it from my dad too. My dad's a, a griller and he likes to be in the kitchen. My mom does not. Aunt B, however, though, is always in the kitchen and knows how to grill out, knows how to bake, knows how to cook, knows everything. And she always makes homemade bread and homemade rolls for Thanksgiving and she kills it routinely. Um, so I do like Thanksgiving for that just because all the ho- all the rolls are homemade and then she just she always has like some sort of a dish and then obviously as i've grown older i've been in the kitchen and 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 learned the ways of the warrior and um just one of my favorite foods of all time that can be added into thanksgiving is mac and cheese so um i'm kind of on the mac and cheese hook i, I i'd like I'd like to put my mac and cheese up against anybody else in the family who thinks they can even touch it. Um, now, you don't like turkey, right? Uh, no, I'm not a fan of turkey at all. No. Now, well, I, I will say like a turkey sandwich, like shaved turkey from the deli. I don't mind. Like, I will eat a turkey sandwich, but I'm not. You're not going like, to eat a turkey leg. No, absolutely not. No. That blows my mind. I I, I don't understand you. Now, it, you know, it, I don't I don't like I don't like stuffing. I don't like green bean casserole. Like I would rather, I'd rather, I'd rather, uh, to be honest, instead of taking a bite of green bean casserole, I would rather uh, take a knife and cut myself with a knife than eat green bean casserole. I, I love never, green bean casserole. I'd make I, great I'm, green bean casserole. I'm, I'm not kidding. I'd I like love green bean casserole, like, like GBC. Okay, here, here's my must-haves for Thanksgiving. Got to have turkey. Got to have green bean casserole. Got to have broccoli rice casserole. Got to have mashed potatoes. Got to have mac and cheese. And then uh, dessert. 
Broccoli rice casserole. Broccoli rice casserole. Oh yeah, yeah so fucking weird. Um, and then I gotta have some cheesecake and then a pie of some sorts. I mean, no, no, no. And Aunt B makes a hell of a cherry cheesecake. Uh, like Aunt B. Okay, no, 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 no. We're not doing cherry cheesecake. Got me strawberry. Oh well, either one. I, I'm cool. I'm cool, really, with any cheesecake, honestly. But okay. I, I'm not. I would rather. I like strawberries more than I like cherry. But Aunt B's cherry cheesecake, it, it, and it, you like on Sundays, like ice cream Sundays. I always say no whipped cream, no cherry. Like, and, and I always give the cherries away. But, Me too. I hate those cherries at like Sonic and all that. When you're Sonic yeah, drinking, no, I never do that shit. Those are nasty. Yeah, but Aunt Beast, I don't know what she does to them. I don't know where she gets them. They're not out of the jar. Like, I think, to be honest, I think she I think she boils them. I think she makes her own cherry, cherry syrup. And it's it, it's not it's not like what you would get at Sonic or Brahms or anything like that. Okay. Like, kind of incredible. Like, trust me, I'm not a big cherry fan. I'd yeah. much rather have, like, a strawberry syrup. Well, she does that, oh. too. Like, Aunt B so is in the What's wrong with broccoli rice casserole? No, nah, that's that's some weird shit. I never had that. I never even seen that. <laughs> you you hey, live till you've had broccoli rice casserole. No, nah, and I don't like broccoli either. It's a texture thing. But I'm I'm more listen, Jones. If I ever have a family, here's what it's gonna be. I'm gonna like me and my dad already discussed this, like he has a he has a smoker big enough to cook about four or five human bodies if he needed to. Like I could be cremated in the smoker if I needed to. <laughs> right? Low key. But um, so you can put anything on it. But if I ever have a family, kids, wife, yada, 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 we're not doing the turkey bullshit. We're not doing the ham bullshit. We're doing like a pulled pork, a smoked turkey, or not a smoked turkey, but like a smoked chicken. A smoked bologna, um, a smoked brisket. Like it's going to be a barbecue Thanksgiving, the way that Oklahoma and Texas should. I got. I'm not deep frying a turkey. I'm not a baking a ham. No, barbecue Thanksgiving is way better. And then I mean, you can have that barbecue any day of the year. Uh, you can have turkey any other day of the year. Sure, sure. Like, yeah, I'm not. You know, like. Sure, ham is cool too. I get. I mean, I guess, but I mean, usually I eat ham around like the Christmas dinner. I mean, yeah, that's true. My aunt used to make a ham though every Thanksgiving because there was a large majority of our family that were not turkey eaters. Turkey's too dry. It's just you know, if you can get if you no, know, I'll tell you the deli makes good turkey, like shaved turkey, real thin, and it's usually like peppered and seasoned right and not dry and then you add a good slice of cheese and mustard to it like a a good ghost pepper cheese and you know eat some sort of seasoning to it it's real good i gotta but, say though the the turkey animals like there's some animals you look at tom and you say man i would love to eat that thing that that thing that animal is better dead than alive you know i, I want to eat that thing I look at a turkey, there. That that's a weird looking mother effer, you know. The, those those turkeys, like, yeah. I, like, I look at a turkey 
when it's alive and say, man, I want to eat that thing. I can't get in my mind that that's my Thanksgiving dinner. Like that's a, that, it's a weird looking thing. Like, would you, would you rather eat a smoked chicken or a smoked turkey? Uh, all right. Most days of the year, a chicken. So it's, it's more of a tradition with the turkey. Yeah. Yeah. Turkey's just, not my favorite, but it's, it's fine. It's good. It's good. Just, just because it's like, okay, if I'm going to eat, if I'm going to eat one, one time a year, I'm just going to eat the turkey at this time. Oh, and I love, and I love the leftovers. Like I'm eating I that food for a week. So I don't even like stuffing. Oh, I love stuffing. That's my favorite. See, now, I, I just, okay. I'll say this. I bet you and I could agree on this. Uh, the, the, the thing I can do without that I do not allow touch my plate whatsoever. No cranberry sauce. Yeah, no. Yeah. That's, that's a weird tradition. And I, I, I don't even know if we do that in my family. Like, nah, but I'll tell you what, Jones, you know what I'm going to make? I think my dad's rolling out the smoker. I, I think, and I have to go get it all on, on Thanksgiving morning to make in Bartlesville. I think I'm going to make a shade, a shade of an Andy Reid Mac, and then I'm going to throw it on the smoker. Okay. And I know it's going to be like I, the mac and cheese, man. Like if you can make a good, solid, wet mac and cheese, you're not going to beat it. You're going to be wet. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and then mop it up with a roll, a homemade roll. Yeah. It's hard. That's hard to beat. Oh, that's yeah. Hard to beat. You know, so, uh, we will get to our uh, Big 12 breakdown coming up in uh, a few moments. But first, let's uh, take a look around the uh, National Football League. And Tom, my favorite Thanksgiving tradition above all else is watching the Cowboys lose. I mean, like when the Lions lose, I feel bad because it happens every single year. They're, they're the lovable losers. It's like, Watching Kansas football prior to this year when I watched the Lions, you can't really, <laughs> you can't hate them, you know. You feel bad for them, you know. I, I can't hate the Lions, you know. They they just lose, you know. I mean, I, I feel bad. The Cowboys, right. I do enjoy when they lose on Thanksgiving. Um, you know, here they are. They come in as nine and a half point favorites. We're going to pick this game coming up later. And with as good as the Cowboys have played this year, to their credit, to their credit, they've had a very good year to this point. If they lose Sunday with being big favorites at home and everything against this Giants team, um, there there is going to be uh, there's going to be some hell to pay. I imagine in Dallas, you get this big win against Minnesota last week, and if they have a letdown here with the whole country watching in what will probably be the most viewed regular season game on TV the entire year, there's going to be some soul searching in Dallas here. This. I, I wouldn't necessarily call it, call it a must-win game, but it, it almost feels like it, like just to the point of, of avoiding national embarrassment here on, on Thursday. I mean, yeah, they're going to have to kind of figure it out and, and, and be kind of wary of the – I wouldn't call it a Thanksgiving curse, but just looking at what Mike Tony asked to order, I'm sure that okay. Well, let's get it right. You know, and there's a decent amount of what we're trying to order currently. Um, 
for the right wingers or for the, um, you know, to fly a fighter jet. So, and it's weird how it works, you know, it, it ended up being a, uh, hey, Pepsi, give me my jet. Or he kind of kind of stole into it. Um, and I guess the, uh, the guys didn't know that that's how many people there were. And then, you know, nothing's left, kind of reacted to that, wiped everybody's makeup off, sent them home, and um, happy ever after. So what does that do with the Cowboys? So what it has to do with the Cowboys is because we always know the Cowboys are going to lose. Okay. You also mentioned it's not the Lions this year. Right. And we also know it's your cousin Danny Jones at, at the helm. And uh, if, if you, you know, just lost me there, you went like a million directions, like, huh? I mean, like, I was okay. Yeah, I know, but I, I'm tying it back in. And it's your cousin Danny Jones. And if you look at Danny Jones's Twitter, um, if you search Daniel Jones and you search GBC or GBC, um, then you find a mention of that. And it all ties into a mathematical formula where the Giants are probably going to win by four points. <laughs> so Daniel Jones is going to win off the backs of green bean casserole. There you go. You, you heard it here first. Okay. I can dig that. Um, that should be interesting uh, to see if the uh, Cowboys and uh, Giants, how that game will – necessarily go i think both teams are going to make the playoffs when it's all said and done this doesn't feel like a playoff elimination game of some sorts but it does feel like a a statement is going to be delivered of some sorts here like this 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 feels like a, a playoff game here are you indifferent or are you rooting for somebody i'm rooting against dallas there you go. Okay. Well, I'm not rooting a- for New York. I'm not a Giants fan, but I'm rooting right. against Dallas. There you go. It's a beautiful thing then. Yes. Yes. It's a beautiful uh, thing. The uh, Bills and Lions also taking place on Thanksgiving Day. We mentioned uh, the Lions and, you know, the, the problems they've had on Thanksgiving Day. You know, that's a tradition unlike any other, seeing them lose every year. <laughs> Feel bad. Now they take on Buffalo, who – is just taking over uh, that stadium. You know, they played a home game there on Sunday, and they've been living in Detroit ever since, you know, the last few days, do all that snow. Buffalo played pretty solid in that win against Cleveland. Good second half last week. The Lions coming off a big upset win of the Giants of their own last week. Uh, Tom, with that said here, um, I think Dan Campbell's days in Detroit are numbered. This team's got a lot of problems. It was a nice win last week, but that's not here to stay. This this could be very ugly. The the Bills, Josh Allen company. Um, if I'm a Lions fan, I'm not feeling good at all about what's what's ahead Thursday. The the Bills might embarrass them here on the national stage. Yeah, they might. Um, you know, Tom Brady's always at the helm, so he can do this sort of thing, but. Uh, you know what? I still sort of kind of like Dan Campbell. I think this is a statement game for him, and I think they could they can come out and 
and and maybe maybe not force their hand, but kind of impose a little will. So um, I don't know what the spread is, but I'm sure nine it's and a half. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, and, and this is not a pick'em game, so give me the Detroit Lions. Really? Give me the Detroit Lions in a Are you in a wild outright or just to cover? No, sorry, just to cover. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen. I'm listen. It's close to Thanksgiving, and I've got a lot of things to give, but not enough things to give to Jared Goff and crew. <laughs> that's that's I I would maybe eat green bean casserole before I would put money down on a money line for the Detroit Lions. <laughs> I might. That's that's saying a lot. I might put a couple bucks just to get a nice return on investment, just in case. I mean, yeah. How many green bean casseroles would that buy? (laughs) Probably quite a few, actually. There you go. Patriots and Vikings. The Vikings looked awful last week against Dallas. Um, And now, short turnaround, they take on a New England team that finds themselves at six and four. Belichick and company, after what was a down year, everybody had written them off. Here they are. They're right in the thick of things. Um, Tom, you look at the Vikings. We mentioned last week that that blowout loss they got handed. A few days later, they're right back on the football field here, and they're going to be tested right again. I mean, this this is a gut check for the Vikings to, to get handed that loss and now play New England here. We're going to find out how good of a coach Kevin O'Connell is and how much he's got his team prepared because this is a quick turnaround after just getting punched in the mouth like that. Yeah, it is going to be a good gut check. And, you know, Kirk Cousins didn't play his best game. I wouldn't call it his worst game, but it, it wasn't pretty. Um, you know, I think the mark of a good team is – one of those teams, you know, I, I think to win a Super Bowl or to be in that place, um, you know, it's not the the old school Bears anymore that win every game. I think it's almost more even more beneficial to kind of almost get your – if you're going to pick a couple games or one game at least to just get your ass kicked, then, you know, maybe the Vikings aren't in that bad of a spot um, because – you win every game. You expect to win every game. That's cool and everything until you lose, and then you have to figure out what kind of team you are mentally and physically. So um, I do like the Vikings here, but I, it's going to be very close. Yeah, yeah, I think I think uh, you're right about that. It should be uh, a very uh, interesting game here between the uh, Patriots and the Vikings coming up on Thursday. Let's move ahead to the Sunday slate of games now. And I go through these uh, one by one here, uh, some of the top games to watch. Uh, the uh, Bucks and the Browns. Uh, Browns at three and seven. Sean Watson's coming back soon, but I think their season's kind of over already. The Bucs uh, at this rate at five and five, they're leading the division. They're coming off a bye. Tom Brady and this Bucks team are playing better. You look at the schedule ahead here, Tom. Um, you get the Browns this week, Saints the week following, then the Niners, then the Bengals, the Cardinals, Panthers, and Falcons. For Tom Brady and crew, that game against the Niners, then the Bengals, that's really their only tough games left here. I mean, 
we could be talking about this Bucks team really turning the corner here to finish out 2022 before the playoffs. Getting hot at the right time, as they say. Jones, yeah, the Bucks two tough games less technically, but I'm not a believer. I'm not a believer in in the Tampa Bay Bucks. You got the Falcons playing really well. Uh, Tom Brady has had some off-field issues. Uh, a lot of things going on in Tampa Bay. I, I don't know. We none of us really know. We thought we knew last year after the Rams beat the Bucks what we had in store for Tampa Bay and Tom Brady. But now we we don't really know. And and like you mentioned, two tough games left. If they lose out and don't make the playoffs, is 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 Brady is he done? Is he done? And if he's done, is he done for a month or is he done for the rest of his career? Yeah. I mean, this this is a very pivotal time, um, not only for the if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, but just in the general uh, area or vicinity in terms of NFL greatness. Like, well, we thought we were there. If he uh, if he comes back next year, who'd say that he even plays for the Bucs? You know, I mean, that's a whole other possibility. Uh, that could who, you, who who would take him? Do you think? Do you think Jimmy G would leave and Trey Lance is still put on the back burner? I've heard Forty Niners. Um, possibility. I think there's I, a number of teams would welcome Brady with open arms. I saw something today about him and Sean Payton possibly being a package deal again. You know, we we saw it almost happen in Miami. Maybe they still end up going somewhere together. I mean, that's a possibility. We'll see, but. Is he uh, is he good is he good enough to warrant that at this stage in his career? Yeah, I mean he's the greatest quarterback of all time. Of course he is. I mean, yeah, I mean sure, yeah, he I mean sure he is, but Tim Duncan is the greatest level. power forward. But I I mean at one I, I mean he's not playing great. He has Mike Evans, Godwin. I mean I mean the Bucks have no reason in that division to to be even having a discussion. Well, that offensive line is just awful. I mean, that I mean that's fair, that is fair. But the run game is sucked. I mean, I guess I guess if he divorced his wife, I mean he might as well play till he's fifty at this point. He has nothing left to lose. Yeah, Bengals and Titans. Uh, you have a, two teams that play a lot better at football as of late. Titans love to run the football with Derrick Henry. They got Ryan Tannehill back. Bengals, uh, you know their pass game with Joe Burrow. Um, obviously, with the weapons he has, you know, they can put up points. But the difference in this game, something to monitor, is the status of Joe Mixon. The concussion he suffered last week, he could be out this game. And if Joe Mixon's not involved here, Tom, that might be the difference in a win or loss for Cincinnati here. Yeah, and, you know, we've we talked about this off the show, and we've talked about this not only this week, but in past weeks of how great a coach that Mike Vrabel is. And, and, you know, Burrow is still a young quarterback. Uh, you know, you can say Cincinnati's coming off of a Super Bowl loss and all this other stuff that, you know, that's the narrative for the most part, but uh, the Bengals is, and, and as far as AFC goes, I would not want to face them. Jamar Chase is eventually going to come back. The Bengals will make the playoffs. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, well, you got to keep him – you got to keep Burrow upright. They've done a good job of that. But, uh, you know, we've talked about the Titans all season being that tough, gritty team. 
I don't know what it is about Tennessee teams, whether you talk about the Memphis Grizzlies or whether you talk about, uh, you know, the Tennessee Titans, very tough, gritty teams. So uh, this one, this one off paper is a lot more interesting than what you would consider it on paper, in my opinion. Um, moving on, Texans and uh, Dolphins. Dolphins sitting at seven and three, and we know they're going to be in the postseason now. Uh, going into the year, it was whether they make the playoffs or not. They have the tiebreaker with the Bills at this point for the division, winning that head-to-head here. Wouldn't that be something, Tom, if not only we see the Dolphins in the playoffs, but if they steal that division away from the Bills, who were the heavy favorites to win the, the Super Bowl before the year began? I mean, it's not out of the question here. There's a few weeks ago, the Dolphins very well might end up winning the AFC East here. Hey, I don't think it's out of the question at all. And, and um, you know, with – with what Waddle and Hill have been able to do, even with Tua kind of being just, you know, knocked around. And I, I wouldn't go too far to say even just decimated or just absolutely beat up. It's kind of been very impressive. I mean, the Dolphins have kind of held their own. Are they going to win the Super Bowl? I don't think so. Um, could they make a weird low-key run? I, I wouldn't be shocked. Um, them winning the division could be enough to stop the Buffalo Bills from making a deep run by adding an extra week, by forcing the Bills to go on the road and everything. The the Dolphins certainly, I don't think they're going to be winning the AFC, but they can cause some problems for sure. The uh, Jets taking on the Bears. Bears got a lot of problems, no doubt. You got two second-year quarterbacks in Zach Wilson and Justin Fields going up head-to-head. Justin Fields has played really well the last couple of weeks. Zach Wilson has been a disaster as of late. Uh, six and four record for the Jets here. And, you know, I don't like what I've seen from Zach Wilson. I don't think anybody has. And if he doesn't get going something soon, based on the way that Sala has talked here, I would not be shocked if we're seeing Joe Flacco or Mike White uh, as the starting quarterback for this Jets team before the end of the year because they're they're alive for playoff contention, but they have to have a quarterback they can rally around they can trust. And right now, Zach Wilson doesn't look like that guy. Jones, you know, um, Zach Wilson struggles. I, I, I know that, you know, for the Jets, they have to be frustrated, um, you know. You even sent me a tweet tonight that someone says, from a Jets perspective, they said, well, we can't believe we drafted the Mormon Ryan Leaf. Ryan Leaf even took offense to that and came back and hammered back and said, nope, uh, that's not me. You're just a Jets fan, and that's what the Jets do. And I can't say I disagree with him. Um, oh, and um, what Ryan Leaf said after that was even better, even after that. Just saying that I went to prison, it was still wasn't as bad. <laughs> you know, and it's just kind of like, okay, Jones, I'd like to I'd like to go back almost even a couple years before Zach Wilson and do I, as as a 
a non Zach Wilson fan, and as as I've been very critical of Zach Wilson, I'd like to go back to an early Jones Report episode just so I could hear what I said uh, because I feel very vindicated right now. I knew Zach Wilson was trash. And, and <laughs> you know, the, the only reason I cheer for him now, which I never cheered for him before, is because he's, he's down with the hot moms. Um, you know, and, and for that, for Come. that, I can, so I can, I can tip my cap. The hot moms aren't doing him too well right now. No, he, he needs a hotter mom for sure. He, yeah. he, he needs, he needs to find him one that's going to set him straight. Uh, and obviously he, he, he hasn't had any of that hot mom ass obviously in a while with the way he's playing. Um, you know, and, and, and at this point, like if you're the Jets, uh, you're 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 kind of still right there. You're not out of it. You're not out of it by any means. But the way Zach Wilson's been playing, and 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 it's not even the way Zach Wilson's been playing, really. Like, let's be real. It's it's the accountability issues, and and that's if you follow the NFL at all, you have you would know that that kind of how Zach Wilson's been acting, or what his teammates have even said is that he has obviously been the issue um, or a, a majority of the issue. I think some of it's coaching. I think it's some of it is, yeah, we're still the New York fucking Jets. But Zach Wilson just kind of walking around acting like he's QB1 and, and going to play in the freaking Pro Bowl. And I think his teammates are like, hey, bro, uh, no, like have some <laughs> self-awareness. Right. Yeah. It's a very and good it's, point. It's kind of it's kind of embarrassing, honestly. Yeah. You know, like if it like it's like, okay, listen, man, have a little bit of self-awareness, you know, like listen, Baker Mayfield isn't the best quarterback in the NFL, but Baker Mayfield also knows when he's shitting the bed. And 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 Baker Mayfield, uh, credit to him, he's even very critical of him of his own self. He he knows when he's not playing well. So have some self awareness and and take some accountability and take some initiative and say, hey, listen, as the quarterback of this NFL team, I could probably be playing a little bit better. Yeah. And and, and Zach Wilson's just walking around like like he's at a fucking garage sale. Like saying, well, no, you know, it's cool. Every every Sunday, I just go to the garage sale and what it feels like is it's uh, it's like Johnny Manziel without the uh, baggage. You know, the same attitude, but he's not like getting arrested or you know stuff like that. You know, I don't even think Johnny Manziel was as like nonchalant about his play. I think Johnny was very nonchalant about his play, actually. I mean, maybe, but at the same time, it's like, okay. Zach Wilson just seems very nonchalant, like it's not his fault. Yeah, I see what you mean. Falcons and Commanders. Uh, the Commanders have played some really good football as of late. They get Chase Young back. Um, Tom, I, I don't think the Commanders are going to be winning the Super Bowl, but – this is a team that no one wants to face right now. I mean, if you're trying to contend for a playoff spot or trying to move up in the NFC standings here, um, 
that that's an issue trying to go through this commander's team right now. I mean, yeah, it kind of is, but you know, to, to the Falcons credit, they have also kind of been that team that's like, Oh wow. The Falcons are actually decent. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Both of those teams are, and, and I, 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 I'll tell you what, I put the Seahawks into the same time frame or the same realm of no one expected anything out of them. And at the end of the day, granted, the Falcons are in a little bit better position to make the playoffs, considering the commanders have to deal with the Giants and the Cowboys and the Eagles. But both are formidable opponents. Right. Yep. Yeah, I think you're right about that. Uh, Chargers and uh, Cardinals. Chargers at five and five. Cardinals at four and seven. Uh, Kyler Murray has uh, not played since the new Call of Duty came out as uh, he's been injured. Uh, (laughs) Colt McCoy did not play great the other night in uh, his absence. Uh, The Chargers, I think they're more talented than what their record indicates, but they have just dealt with some horrible injuries. If the Chargers could get healthy, Tom, they would be so much better off. I know people are kind of pointing the blame at Brandon Staley, and I know that Staley's made some mistakes here and there, but, I mean, you know, you, you could throw Vince Lombardi or Bill Belichick out there, and and they'd be struggling with this Chargers team with all the injuries they've consumed here. Oh, you're right. And if you really want to even compare the two teams that are going to be playing each other this weekend, you could say, well, Cliff Kingsbury has given, been given a lot more chances than than what the Chargers are ready to give Brandon Staley. I've, I've seen – Many a Chargers fan saying, well, this is the end of the road for Brandon Staley. Well, I mean, hell, if you're the Cardinals, uh, you know, you've you've given Cliff Kingsbury every chance. And granted that, you know, it's it, it ups almost every other year. But the Cardinals were arguably in the one of the harder divisions in the past couple of years. And now the Chargers, you could argue you are in the hardest division in football. Um, you know, so, and, and you, like you mentioned, they've been injury riddled and, uh, trying to find their kind of identity, but still Herbert's one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. And I I think you'd be hard pressed to find a lot of teams. I think you'd be hard pressed to find 25 teams that wouldn't take Herbert over their starting quarterback right now. So yeah, a lot of injuries. We'll see if Brandon Staley makes it through. Um, for the sake of me being a Rams fan and them renting out um, SoFi Stadium and for Brandon Staley coming from where he came from, from the Rams. Uh, Maybe I'm pro-fire Brandon Staley, but they probably shouldn't. Um, If you're the Cardinals, I think you'd much rather have Brandon Staley than a Cliff Kingsbury right now. Yeah, yeah, I agree. If Staley, I think – if, he, if the Chargers fire him, I think that would be a mistake. I think he'll be a head coach again somewhere else, maybe even right away. Might He might have to be, go be a coordinator again, but he would get a second shot, I think, to be a head coach again. Yeah, and, and, hey, and if the Raiders had the money, they might be like, okay, bye, Josh. <laughs> Let's just go get, get Brandon right now. Right. Let's go Brandon. Yeah. Yeah, let's go Brandon. Get him into Vegas. 
<laughs> Rams and uh, Chiefs. Tom, big let's go Brandon guy. Um, you know it. Rams and the Chiefs. The Rams obviously have been a mess. Um, not a lot has gone their way. The Chiefs, um, man, I, I was watching that game the other night, Tom, and it, it's like that Steph Curry or Ray Allen thing when – when hey, listen, listen! Don't make it. Don't make it harder. Moments, and you just know they're gonna make it, right? Listen, you know, hey, you don't have to make it harder. Finish, on finish. And then when I watched Mahomes the other night, and it's before that final drive, I'm like we already know what's gonna happen before it even has happened. He's gonna get the ball to Kelsey. They're gonna go down the field. They're gonna score. They're gonna win. And that's exactly what they did. I mean, I've never seen a player like this before that just every time you know this is his moment, he's going to get it done. I, I I think the Rams are going to keep it within 14 and a half. I'd be shocked if the Chiefs cover that spread. But, I mean, there's almost no way the Chiefs don't win this game on on Sunday between the, them and the Rams here, Tom. I mean, it's at Arrowhead, and the Rams are going to be without Matthew Stafford. Like he, they might as well shut him down for the season. It's it's one of those weird things, though. I would, you know, this is not on our pick. Em. I will take the Chiefs. I will take the Chiefs to cover. I think the Chiefs could win by twenty one plus. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for some random any given Sunday magic to happen. Rams try out Bryce Perkins out there, and 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 Rams win, like, one where the Chiefs should drop. Like, the Chiefs have lost, what, two games? One game? Two? Uh, the Chiefs have lost two, yeah. Lost two. I can see this is, it, this is like, one that the Chiefs should never have even dreamed of losing, and they just lose because the Rams are right now are so bad, and they know they're bad. And, and, and you know, at, at full strength or full health, the Rams are a playoff team, but Right now, the line is horrible. Matthew Stafford's hurt. Cooper Cup's hurt. They never figured it. They, they did never. And, and Jones, we talked about this at the beginning of the season. Um, is Stafford's elbow a question? He's made some throws where it doesn't look like his elbow was a question. Um, but then he also took some hits because the line was trash. Now he's got two concussions. Uh, the Rams will not make the playoff. They will not be able to defend their Super Bowl title in the playoffs. And I, I think for the Rams, you know, they'll shut it down for the season. But this is one of those games that I could see the Rams just being like, okay, you lose however many straight, you look like trash, and then you go into Kansas City and you just pull off the unimaginable with the backup quarterback. I'm not going to say it's going to happen, but the way my sports fandom has gone this season – it, it'd be one of those things where I just shake my head and laugh. I'm going to tell but, you, it's not going to happen. Don't, don't even get too excited about that. Uh, you heard it here first, folks. Bryce Perkins in Kansas City, Rams by three. Yeah, no thanks. Uh, Seahawks and Raiders. Um, the Seahawks coming off a bye. The Raiders beat the Broncos in dramatic fashion last week. The Las Vegas Raiders have never lost to the Broncos. I wonder if any of you caught what I was saying there, if you caught my drift. Only uh, the Vegas Raiders. Bingo. Tom got it. Um, the uh, Seahawks are uh, about 
three and a half point favorite here against uh, the Raiders and, um, you know, lost a close one to the Bucs. This is a really good opportunity, I think, Tom, for the uh, Seahawks to get back on track here and and uh, beat this this lowly Raiders team. Uh, I, I think Seahawks at home off a of bye, uh, book it. I like Seattle take care of this one. And, and you know, we've seen them win multiple games, you know, a lot of games this year actually by double digits. Um, I like Seattle here by at least a touchdown. Gino continues his uh, MVP combo season. There. That, that, that Raiders defense can stop a nosebleed. I mean, Kenneth Walker's going to have a day. I, yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah. A um, couple more for you. Saints and 49ers. 49ers are getting red hot right now. Jimmy G's playing good. Um, you know, the McCaffrey edition, all those other things there. Things are starting to get real good for the 49ers. And, Tom, I think we're going to have a neck-and-neck neck finish for that division between the Niners and the Seahawks. And when they meet in a few weeks on Thursday night football, we're, uh, we're going to be in for quite a treat between those two. That might, that game might decide who wins the division. Yeah, I think it really could. And, and, you know, what hurts for the rest of the whole league, um, or at least for the NFC is they should have never let Trey Lance get hurt. Uh, the 49ers and I, you know, I'll be honest with you. The 49ers would not be in the position they are right now if Trey Lance uh, does not get hurt. Right. Right. Um, and then last one on the NFL note, uh, Packers and Eagles. Packers have been a mess. Uh, you know, lost one last week uh, against the Titans. Uh, get a little – few extra days off before this trip to Philly. And, and Tom, I know that Philly hasn't played great the last couple of weeks. But going up against Aaron Rodgers, I know that Green Bay's not good, not good right now. But that should be all the wake-up call Philly needs to put their best foot forward and try to get back on track here and play like they were a couple weeks ago. Just knowing you got to go up against one of the all-time greats here. Um, th- this, this should be the wake-up call I think the Eagles need. Yeah, you would think so. They almost lose the Colts, pull it out of their ass. They figure it out. Um, I, the Eagles, the Eagles have to pull through here. Yeah. All right. Uh, coming up next is our Big Twelve breakdown. Matt Zimmick going to join us. Also, Coach Bo's going to stop by. Tom Fullery coming up in just a few moments as well. We will get started with our Big Twelve breakdown here on the Jones Report. <laughs> It is the Big 12 Breakdown. Tom Jones, Tom Fritz is here with you with a look around the Big 12 Conference this week as the TCU Horned Frogs are two games away from making their first ever college football playoff. That is the biggest storyline in the league right now. Who they will face in the Big 12 title game remains to be seen. Will it be K-State? Will it be Texas's? Uh, still a lot to figure out over this next week of how that will ultimately shake out. And basically, here's the scenarios as they stand right now, Tom. TCU is in, and then if K-State wins against KU, K-State's in, we get an all-purple Big 12 title game. If K-State loses to KU, and then if Texas Tech, or Texas Tech, if Texas is able to beat Baylor, 
then Texas would be in the Big 12 title game against TCU. So we, we begin this show every week with our hot takes. And here's my hot take for you, Tom. Here's what I'll say here. Um, I know that TCU put a shellacking on Texas, but we know what Quinn Ewers is capable of and the offensive weapons on that Texas team. If I'm TCU, I rather face K State in the Big 12 title game than I would Texas. Um, I know that they took care of Texas easier than they did K State, but I think K-State played about as good as they possibly could have and still came up short in that game. I think TCU would beat K-State just fine in a rematch. But as far as Texas goes, we know Texas didn't play their best. I think Texas could play better. Um, if I'm TCU, I, I want I want K-State in that title game. I, I don't want Texas. What 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 say you? What's uh, What's your reaction to that? And then what's your hot take this week? Yeah, no, I think you're right because Texas has more talent overall. Maybe, you know, I, I it's very hard to say that you could say Kleiman is coaching K-State better than than Sark is Texas, but I you know, as far as this season goes, I think you could say that. But uh you want to talk about pound for pound, talent for talent. Um, it's hard to beat a team twice either way. They're still going to have to beat a team twice if they want to make the playoff. What, uh, whether and here's another State. factor I'll add in, too. Uh, yep. At AT&T Stadium, if you're playing K-State, you know, crowd's probably pretty close to even. If you're playing Texas, that's going to be a UT home game. Exactly, yeah. No, I, you know, you're absolutely right. And, and and so I TCU definitely wants to play K State again. It should be an all purple matchup. But I'll tell you what my hot take is. Um, I think some things are going to get shaken up this week, and um, you know TCU has to run out and trot on the field to save their playoff hopes against Baylor this week. I don't. I wouldn't say they're running out of gas by any means. They did have to play in Waco. That is a rivalry matchup either way. TCU Baylor is a, uh, a kind of a not a long-stated rivalry, but kind of like one of those budding rivalries. I think will be continued into the new Big Twelve. But uh, Jones, for what it's worth, and for my hot take this week, whether it be true or not, I don't. I'd like to go back and listen to the shows and how many hot takes we got right. Hot take this week, Iowa State finds a way to upset TCU, ruin and, and And it, I, am, I am team chaos. Okay. Because um, I'm, I'm the total opposite. I think TCU is going to beat the crap out of Iowa State this week. I, Iowa team, State. Team chaos. I see where you're going with that. But Iowa State has no offense. They can't score. How are they supposed to hang with this high-powered TCU team? You know, you might have said the same thing against Oklahoma State and Ames in 2011. Um, you know, it's a hot take for a reason. Give me Iowa State this weekend pulling off the upset, ruining TCU season. Tom, and- Tom, that was 11 years ago now. You're starting to sound like the K-State 98 crew here. Hey, li- hey, listen, Iowa State, you know, some things never change. <laughs> K 
K or K State. Um, I still I still think it's an all purple bowl uh, in Arlington, but um, as far as TCU goes, I I like Iowa State's one of those teams that just cause chaos. They can't even make a bowl game. I, I think they they ruin seasons, and I I think we get another team in there that also hates Iowa State. Uh, I think it'll be 11 years later, and I think TCU will still be talking about the time Iowa State ruined TCU's playoff chances. So, so maybe there'll be like a, a, a therapy session of the 20, uh, fort, you know, 2022 TCU team, the 2011 OSU team, and the 1998 K-State team of the coulda, woulda, shouldas. Maybe they'll all get together for brunch or something. The the ultimate humblers. Yes. Change, but there's no cyclones in, in, in Ames, Iowa. Just change it to the Iowa State humblers. And and I don't – you know, if, if Tennessee can have the volunteers, what a lame-ass mascot. The volunteers volunteer for what? You know, change so Iowa State from the cyclones, change it to the humblers, and, and make their – Make their mascot some other little shitty little dog like Tennessee's is. You don't like Smokey? No, I'm not a fan. Wow, Tom, dog hater. Okay. No, I just like I like better dogs. <laughs> <laughs> All take right, your, take your big old dog having ass on. Uh. Let's uh, look at the Big 12 slate of games here. Beginning on Friday, Baylor and Texas, 11 a.m. in Austin. Uh, Tom, Baylor has uh, been a disappointment this year, no question about it. Um, They did come very close to knocking off TCU last week. Texas knows what's in front of them, have to win this game if they want to get into the Big 12 title game. Um. I know Baylor's had Texas' number as of late, but I don't think Texas loses at home in these circumstances. I'm going with the Horns here. How about you? Yeah, I'd probably have to go with the Horns, too. If it's in Waco, change of scenery. Uh, maybe a little different. Baylor coming off a tough loss against TCU. Kind of gave it all they had. Uh, I got to go with the Horns. Uh, moving on to Saturday action. West Virginia and Oklahoma State. The Pokes uh, last week just looked really bad uh, with that loss to Oklahoma, you know, getting out of score, what was it, 28 nothing in the first quarter. Tom, you were at that game, and it was bad. They did come back. They made it somewhat of a game, uh, 28-13 in the fourth quarter, but uh, never got within single digits anyway in that one. Meanwhile, West Virginia, on their side of things, uh, last week gave up – 48 points to K-State at home. They lose 48-31, the uh, final in that game. This one in Stillwater. And, you know, West Virginia is not going to be bowl eligible. Oklahoma State cannot make make it to the Big 12 title game here. Tom, neither one of these teams really have a whole lot to play for at this point. It's I think it's going to kind of come down to desire here. Who, who wants it more? Yeah, I don't know. And it'll be interesting to see this senior day. In Stillwater, um, I will not be there. Um, I've I've had enough. I've had enough of it. Uh, 
you know, I, I'm I, the most interesting storyline this whole week for Oklahoma State and this game against West Virginia is does Spencer Sanders trot out there with a uh, with a recognition football for Senior Day? That's what I'm most. Inter- I'm not. I don't give a shit about the game. Um, you know, neither team. You know, OSU's going to a bowl game. Are they the cheesiest, or are they you know going to even a lesser bowl? Um, that I don't know, but at, at, at this point, it's like the, the biggest storyline for this game should be does Spencer Sanders trot out there for senior day and have his name announced. If he doesn't, uh, then things get a lot more interesting for next year because we've seen both backup quarterbacks for OSU and neither have been impressive. So, well, and, uh, he's got the COVID year of eligibility, so he could still do the senior day stuff. And then even come back next year. So and yeah, and and that would be we've uh, seen that happen before already with guys. So yeah, right. He could yeah. So well, well I mean, we'll see. I, I, there's a if he, obviously if he doesn't try it out there for senior day, that means he's coming back. But um, I'll be interested more in the pregame than the game. Jones, to put this in perspective, I'll be watching uh, USA England. Before I watch this OSU game, I've I've had enough. They've cost me too much money this season, and and that's not even because I've bet on them. That's just in terms of going to the games. Um, TCU Iowa State. Tom and I are on different scopes in this one. He's calling the Iowa State upset. Uh, I'm picking TCU in a blowout here. Tom is literally saying the worst team in the Big Twelve is going to upset. TCU and have their best shot at the playoff. Now, hey, it's a hot take. Like for Feinbaum, it is a hot take. You're right. Um, you hear people like Feinbaum and others saying, you know, this TCU team's not legit. Who they played and all this. I mean, realistically, it's it's all bias here, folks. You flip that logo. If it was crimson and cream, or if it had Longhorns on it, it'd be a whole different discussion. This TCU team has passed every test. I mean. You know, and as far as winning these close games goes, I mean, if their name was Oklahoma, what we'd be saying right now, they're battle-tested, you know? So, um, I think TCU is going to be just fine. And I said this a couple weeks back. I'm holding firm to it, Tom. TCU's winning out. I think they're going to be the first ever Big 12 round-robin undefeated team. And they would be the last because the round-robin's got next year. And then – uh, I think they entered the playoff as an undefeated team. I, I'm calling it right now, and and I think they make a statement, uh, you know, on uh, on Saturday here. No, and I hope they do. I mean, for the sake of the for the sake of the segment, I'm taking Iowa State in the history of them upsetting um, Oklahoma State, and they're they're essentially what would have been perfect season, and and they should have went on to the BCS national championship. Um, that's the reason it's my hot take. I said it actually, I said it, I've, I've said it for a couple of weeks that Iowa State was going to be a season ruiner, and, and Baylor almost was. It took a, uh, a, a you know, 15 seconds left, trot out, no timeouts, uh, last second field goal for TCU to pull it off in Waco. Um, not saying they won't win, but for like I said, for the sake of the hot take, I will take Iowa State. Um, 
you know, I'm not going to put down any money on this game. I'm not a big head in football. I'm not going to face really any consequences for taking Iowa State. So, um, I want I want TCU to win. I want TCU to I want TCU to win the whole damn thing. But um, yeah, I also need somebody to hate Iowa State with me. Okay. Uh, Oklahoma and uh, Texas Tech. If I would have told you at the beginning of the season, these two teams would be meeting at the end of the year, and one of them is going to guarantee a winning season with seven wins, and the other is going to finish at six and six, I think you would have looked at me like I was crazy. Who would have thought Joey McGuire would have his team looking just as good as Brent Venables in their first year and OU's favored by two. The game is in Lubbock though. And this is a real toss up game. And we saw Oklahoma play their best half of football all year last week, Texas tech. Meanwhile, um, coming off a close win against Iowa state. And then they put up a lot of points against KU the week prior. The, the same thing here could be said about both teams. I don't know. What OU and what Texas Tech team is going to show up here? OU was MIA. You, you could have put them on a milk carton for that game against West Virginia a couple weeks ago. I don't know what's going to happen uh, here in this game. Tom, this, is, this one's hard to figure out uh, just because it has been a roller coaster for both those teams. But to be honest, I think I lean towards Texas Tech being the home team here. And uh, seeing what they did offensively against Kansas here, uh, they can they can put up points. Yeah, and a lot of things, a lot of weird things happen out in Lubbock. You know, if this is in Norman, I'm real, you know, I feel a lot better about taking OU. But uh, this is in Lubbock. Um, Texas Tech has not looked horrible. They've actually shown a lot of promise. I, and I, I think Tech is on the up and up. Uh, in terms of actually just being very competitive. You know, we Jones, we talk about, uh, you know, how competitive this Big 12 is in basketball, um, you know, with Lance Leopold coming back until 2029 and Joey McGuire showing some real promise in tech. Uh, you know, Matt Campbell's still Matt Campbell. Iowa State's had a down year, but everyone's getting tougher. This, uh, this Big 12 football-wise, is starting to shape up, dare I say, like Big 12 basketball is. Yeah, feels that way. Um, and then uh, last one here on the uh, Big 12 slate, KU and K-State, as great of a year it's been for Kansas to be ball eligible and everything, their arch rivals across the state are just even better. Uh, you know, K-State at eight and three, KU at six and five. And this would be a golden opportunity for KU to not only finally end that losing streak against K-State, but if they could take K-State out of the Big 12 title game, that would be awesome. You know, help their, you know, get themselves into a better bowl here. There's a lot to play here for Kansas here, Tom. Um, and they very well could win this game, but they're going to have their hands full. A night game in Manhattan uh k-state playing for a big 12 title berth here and this k-state team is 
playing really good football right now. They look like a complete football team. It hasn't mattered who they've played at quarterback, whether it's been Adrian Martinez or Will Howard. I mean, they've been good either way here. Um, this is going to be a tall task for this Kansas team. And coming off just a beating they suffered against Texas last week, their worst performance all year, all signs point to uh, this being a K-State win on a Saturday. But I think Lance Leipold is uh, going to rally the troops and at least – put up a much better fight than they did last week. Uh, you know, obviously Jalen Daniels didn't look quite right. Um, we know Jalen's a talented quarterback. For me, I, I it sounds weird to say, but I, I think they might be better off with Jason Bean in this game, considering just how off Jalen Daniels looked last week, that he was not 100%. Yeah, and, and, and I think you're absolutely right. I think for KU, I think you might run with the hot hand type thing and Jason Bean. But, you know, as Jones, and you're on the same boat um, for the most part, as a hateful eight fan, I would love nothing more than to see Baylor beat Texas and then KU cap off a season, cap, cap off a historic season, um, you know, in the last since 20 odd seven. 2007 um, would love nothing more to see KU beat K-State in Manhattan. K-State still at that point, if Baylor wins, gets to the Big 12 championship against TCU. Um, There's a win-win scenario here. You know, there's, there really is a win-win K-State, even if they beat KU, not going to get to the playoff, they can still get to the Big 12 championship. Let's just have Baylor beat Tech, or sorry, let's have Baylor beat Texas, and then let's have KU cap off a uh, the best season that you've ever seen since you were trying to think eleven. Yeah. Uh, let Let's see that happen. I'm ready to see that happen. It would be. I I don't know if K KU can do it, but. K-State, like you said, looks like a complete football team, and, and I think they're ready to, to to roll in. They will know what they have to do if uh, Texas does beat Baylor in that yeah. early kick. Right. That, uh, that does it for a look around the Big 12 this week. Uh, we will check in on Lincoln Riley and USC. Uh, Tebow, as the OU fans call him, see what's going on with uh, – the Trojans, as a Matt Zimmick, is going to join us next. We will get his thoughts on uh, that USC team, college football playoff picture, also uh, the realignment situation when Matt Zimmick joins us on the other side. Stay with us. Joining us now on the show this week, he is a part of the uh, college gridiron coast-to-coast family uh, with the Get Off My Pylon podcast covering all things Pac-12 and also the editor at Trojans Wire covering USC. It is uh, Matt Zemek who's back on the program once again. Matt, welcome back and uh, glad to have you with us, man. And and uh, we, we got so much to uh, talk about with uh, that USC program that uh, you've been covering right there uh, on the brink of what looks like a, a college football playoff berth if they can finish off things here in the next couple of weeks. It's great to be back with you, Tyler. And it's a fascinating week for USC, not just because – the game with Notre Dame carries high stakes and the college football playoff is within reach. But 
let's drill deeper into that reality that if USC does win the next two games, it will be in the college football playoff. Uh, unless maybe LSU beats Georgia, that could be the one monkey wrench. But, you know, most likely if USC wins its next two games, it's in the playoff. But here's the tricky part. Before the season, even people who were bullish on USC, even people who thought that USC would be right here in the Pac-12 championship game with 10 wins, and I think the national consensus was generally nine and three. And certainly the Pac-12 media poll in late July and preseason uh, coaches poll, the preseason AP poll, Tyler, they all picked USC third. So they picked USC to miss the Pac-12 championship game. Utah and Oregon was the consensus pick. Coaches poll, AP poll, Pac-12 poll. So USC has exceeded expectations significantly relative to the general national consensus entering the season in late August, early September. And, and so people who were bullish on USC, they felt that, you know what? All the criticisms of the program, like, hey, you're not going to turn it around in one year for play health, and you're not going to turn it around from four and eight, uh, you know, in, in, in one season. All those skeptical claims, I didn't think they held a lot of water in terms of getting to the Pac-12 championship game or winning 10 games. I thought USC could do that. But I did think, yeah, the playoff is too much in year one. The playoff, getting all the way to the top in year one, that was asking too much. So we have a fascinating situation where, oh, looky here, the playoffs can reach. And so the temptation and also the danger is for USC to start to get nervous. because This has been a fun team to watch. Caleb Williams has been enjoying himself. You know, obviously he's right there in the Heisman chase with CJ Stroud. And so now that the playoff is a serious possibility, like USC doesn't need help. It controls its own fate for that. It's going to be so tempting and it's going to be so natural just as a point of human nature for the players to think, oh, we got to make the playoff now. It's right there. And if we don't, the season's a failure. And that could lead to nervousness. It could lead to a very different vibe. You know, if Notre Dame gets off to a good start, you know, is USC going to crumble? And so this is the challenge for Lincoln Riley and Alex Grinch. It's, hey, no one expected us to make the playoff before the season began. We're playing with house money. Keep having fun. Stay free. Don't think about the playoff. And hey, this is Notre Dame. Order freaking Dame. Let's beat the Irish. Let's look at this game, this opportunity, this rivalry. Enjoy the ride. Don't start thinking about, oh, we could lose a playoff berth and that would be horrible. No, you know, in year one, it was just about getting to the Pac 12 championship game. Like that really was the main goal and see if you can play in a big New Year's Six game. If USC wins this game against Notre Dame, it can lose the Pac 12 title game, but it's still going to go to the Cotton Bowl. Like that's the floor if USC beats Notre Dame. But of course, if USC loses to Notre Dame and in the Pac-12 title game to get three losses, finish 10 and three, probably kicks USC all the way down to the Alamo Bowl. So, you know, the playoffs, great if USC can do it, but really it should be all about having fun, going after Notre Dame, just winning a ball game and making sure that the bowl destination is worthy of this season USC's had. The worst outcome would be, just to crumble at the end under the pressure and weight of expectations. Hey, USC's exceeded expectations, so there's no need to burden uh, themselves with expectations now. It's far too late in the game. Just keep having fun and playing good football, especially on offense. So the, the situation as it stands, you mentioned the Notre Dame game coming up this weekend. 
followed by the Pac-12 title game, which I believe would be either Oregon or Washington. Um, correct me if I'm Utah wrong. still has a slight chance, but yeah, Utah, Utah, I mean, Oregon and Washington very much in the mix, and Oregon's the one that controls its fate the most. Right. And so with that said, with looking at the situation here, you have, you know, this Notre Dame game, which Notre Dame has played a lot better football as of late, and then a Pac-12 title game against an Oregon team that got a lot better in the second half of the season. Same could be said for Washington. Utah already beat them once. And it took everything to beat that UCLA team last week. I mean, Matt, this is this is far from a given at all that USC, let alone is going to win out and make the playoff, but let alone if they win the Pac-12 title here in a couple of weeks here. I mean, these next two weeks are so critical here. They are, and I totally agree that, like, no one should be thinking that this is a slam dunk for USC. Not one soul. Like, you know, you just look at what USC's done in the past month since the loss to Utah. Beat Arizona by only one score. Beat Cal by only one score. Okay, then you play Colorado. That's basically like playing the junior varsity. Don't, can't really assign any meaning to that. But then, um, you know, beating UCLA by a whisker. Like, and UCLA had the ball near midfield. In the final minutes, and UCLA had scored 45 points. You think, hey, UCLA has a pretty good chance. Um, so, like USC has been living on the edge. It hasn't been dominating. I mean, you can say that the offense has dominated, but the team hasn't dominated. And so, like, there's not a huge margin for error. And just looking at this Notre Dame game, Tyler, Notre Dame under special teams coordinator Brian Mason. He's a Broyles Award semifinalist, uh, one of the 15 semifinalists, best assistant coach in the country. This year, Notre Dame's blocked over half a dozen punts. <laughs> I mean, Notre Dame is a punt blocking machine. USC, on the other hand, doesn't even have a special teams coordinator. Like Lincoln Riley believes that you know we have those 10 assistant coaching spots. Hey, I need them for defense. I need them for recruiting. So he doesn't have a special teams coordinator. USC missed two field goals under 35 yards last week. Did a couple of pooch kickoffs that gave UCLA great field position on drives, led to UCLA points. I mean, USC lost a lot of points, like at least 12, if not 15, 17 points uh, due to special teams. Now you're going up against the best punt blocking unit and the best special teams coach in the whole country at North, with Notre Dame and Brian Mason. Like that is a terrifying thing. And, and I, I would say that the odds are Notre Dame is either going to block a punt or at least force a shanked punt. Like there's going to be at least one really bad special teams play for USC in this game. And that's exactly what Notre Dame needs. Notre Dame needs splash plays, not on offense, you know, because Drew Pine is not a very good quarterback. You put him up against Caleb Williams, you know, it's like David versus Goliath quarterback matchup, but Notre Dame can compensate for that on special teams and in other areas. And so like no one should think that this game is going to be a breeze for USC. I mean, it might be, you know, maybe Drew Pine, you know, throws a couple interceptions and it's good night game over drive home safely. That's certainly on the table as a possibility. But of course, as a coach, you have to prepare for the worst. You have to prepare for the other team's strength. And USC on special teams is not prepared for what Notre Dame special teams units going to bring to the table. And things like that could make this game very, very difficult for USC. Yeah, very well could. Uh, you're absolutely right about that, uh, Matt. And so, uh, with, with that being said, you know, I've been watching, you know, this USC team and what I've seen, Matt, is, you know, it's it's just like Lincoln Riley when he was at Oklahoma, not just because Caleb Williams is there and in company, but, you know, they can put up a lot of points, they give up a lot on defense, 
kind of soft on defense too under Alex Grinch here. I mean, th- th- this is the Lincoln Riley system. I mean, it's all being replicated exactly what he did at Oklahoma is coming up in USC here. And the big flaw I see, you know, whether it's this year or going forward is that lack of physicality here. You're going to be good and you're con- going to compete, but I don't know if, if they continue to do things this way, if they're going to get over that hump. Significant progress this year, but how better can it get, you think, uh, under uh, Lincoln Riley here at USC? What's their ceiling at some point? Yeah, so, you know, I mean, that's going to be the big test. And, hey, yeah, you follow the Big 12 very closely. I listen to your show, Big 12 Breakdown, as part of the College Gridiron Coast to Coast Network. So, like, you know Lincoln Riley inside and out. You're very familiar with that program. You now know how he rolls. And Alex Grinch remains a mystery, right? I mean, you know, he, like he, he's not an elite coordinator. No, no one would say he's an elite coordinator. But, you know, he, and as you know, he inherited the mess that Mike Stoops left behind. Uh, and he did a decent job in 2020. But, of course, he felt he stepped on a rake in 2021 when Oklahoma was supposed to have a really good defense for the first time in Alex Grinch's tenure. And he didn't do a good job of developing those guys. So, like, that's the big knock against him but it's a pretty small sample size. And so we, like, we haven't yet seen a, a scenario uh, other than 2021 at Oklahoma. Like that's one season. We have one season in which we can say, hey, Alex Grinch was supposed to have done a great job with a stacked defense and he didn't do it. But that's just one season. No one you know, felt that he would have, have great material this season at USC. The cupboard was thin, left behind by Clay Helton. So it's... Well, I, I would also add, I would add, point to his time at Ohio State didn't go that great either. That's fair. That's fair. It also wasn't a very long tenure. Right. Um, and he did do well under Mike Leach at Washington State. But, of course, that's not the same situation as Ohio State, USC, Oklahoma, the Blue Blood programs. But, I mean, the, the real test case for Alex Grinch is, you know, can, can Lincoln Riley bring in elite recruits and get defensive depth? which he obviously was never going to have this season, uh, cleaning, cleaning up the mess from Clay Helton. If you give Alex Grinch defensive depth and quality, and then we need to see what he does, and then, then we're going to be able to get a fuller measure of him as a defensive coordinator. And there's just not a lot of evidence. I mean, 2021 at Oklahoma, when he failed, like that is the sample size thus far of Alex Grinch going into a season with the full expectation this is supposed to work. Right. He didn't do it, but it's just one season. We need to see more. Like it's it's unsatisfying both for Alex Grinch apologists and for Alex Grinch uh, critics. We right. just need to see more, and we're not gonna we weren't gonna know this year. We'll learn more next year, and then when we get to the Big Ten in twenty twenty four, that might be the year when we really, I think, get get a much fuller picture of how good Alex Grinch is or isn't. Yeah, a uh, couple more things on USC, and then uh, we'll move on to the broader scope of things. You mentioned like that the the Big Ten transition. We'll get to that here in just a second. But here's here's what I want to ask you. You mentioned Caleb Williams and his Heisman campaign. CJ Stroud up there as well. I know it's been brought up a thousand times over the years about the the West Coast thing, right? Of that you know people aren't watching the West Coast games. It hurts the Heisman race and all that for guys like Caleb Williams. And I see Caleb Williams' name right now. His stock is higher than it's ever been when it comes to this Heisman race. Um, is he being hurt by playing on the West Coast and playing for USC, or is he getting the right treatment? What say you as far as uh, his Heisman odds go? 
That is a fascinating question because, you know, USC is the exception to the Pac-12, you know, in terms of when USC has an elite Heisman candidate, that Heisman candidate doesn't suffer as a result of playing on the West Coast, playing in the Pac-12. You know, Carson Palmer, Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush, all, you know, all won. That's three Heismans in a four-year span when USC was excellent. And now you have USC in the playoff hunt. And, of course, USC's Heisman quarterback is right there with a chance to win. So that's not so much a, a knock or a, or a deficit, I should say, you know, uh, hampering Caleb Williams' Heisman candidacy. But I think what hurts Caleb Williams is simply that if it's basically a tie with C.J. Stroud, I think C.J. Stroud is going to get the nod because he's in the East. So it's not as though Caleb Williams is hurt by being in the West, but C.J. Stroud is helped by being in the East and helped by having the platform of, Ohio, of an Ohio State-Michigan game in which both teams are 11 and 0. See, Notre Dame is 8 and 3. If Notre Dame was 10 and 1, I would actually elevate that game, Notre Dame USC over Michigan Ohio State in terms of a Heisman catapult situation. But with Notre Dame being at 8 and 3 and Notre Dame having a bad quarterback through Pine, you know, seeing Michigan Ohio State both at 11 and 0, that game I think is going to get more juice nationally. It's going to carry more weight with Heisman voters. I, want, I want to be clear for your audience, Tyler. Uh, this is not like who should win. Yeah. This is about the politics. You know, right. This is about judging how Heisman voters are going to react. And I think that they are in a, Heisman voters are more likely to reward Stroud than Caleb Williams for the same level of performance. Now, obviously, if one guy does clearly better than the other, and then that does, that's going to decide it organically. But I think if they're both pretty much at the same level, I think Stroud has the inside track because he will get more of a bounce on the Heisman ballot from the Michigan game than Caleb Williams will against an eight and three Notre Dame team. That's how I see the calculus of the race. I think Caleb Williams has to be noticeably better these last two games to win. If they're both the same, I think Stroud has it. Okay. Very uh, interesting points there. Uh, last thing, as far as SC goes and, Looking at the, this playoff picture, um, you know, they're there at one loss. TCU's undefeated, of course. So is Ohio State, Michigan, Georgia. It feels like to me, Matt, it's Georgia, and then it's kind of everybody else. That I think Georgia's clearly the best team in the country, but then the next group of teams, I don't see a whole lot of separation from. A USC or a TCU or even a Michigan, to me, feels interchangeable. Do you feel the same way? Can these TCUs – the Michigans, the USC's of the world, did, do you think any of them have a shot to take down Georgia here? What do you make of the playoff picture right now? You know, I, you know, like I watched a, a good portion of the Georgia-Kentucky game since it was before the USC-UCLA game. Like Georgia's offense is not a lock to play well. Like that, that's just not a guarantee this year. Uh, Georgia is, is a few notches worse than the 2021 team. Like we know that that 2021 team, as you're well aware, 15 NFL uh, draft picks, the most ever. So this team is still really, really good. We all saw that team shut down Tennessee's high-powered offense. But overall, you know, the full body of work, the full team, not nearly as dominant, not nearly as imposing as last year's group. So I think Georgia's takeable. I would say that, you know, because the Peach Bowl is one of the two playoff semifinals, Georgia really, it's important for Georgia to get the number one seed. So, like, if Georgia loses to LSU in the SEC Challenge game, it's still going to get into the playoff, but it won't be the one seed. It's going to get kicked over to the Fiesta Bowl, 
And then that's the vulnerable spot for Georgia. Georgia might have to play Ohio State in the Fiesta Bowl in Glendale if it loses to LSU. Um, so, you know, that's really the focus for Georgia. You want to win out, get remain unbeaten, get the Peach Bowl, and then you're playing Atlanta. And that and it's going to be really hard to beat Georgia in that semifinal. But then in the championship game, if it's Ohio State uh, against Georgia, like Ohio State has the weapons uh, to beat Georgia. And Ohio State's defense, which was so bad last year, it's a lot better this year. Now, you could say that the Big Ten has been so weak that Ohio State really hasn't been tested. But you can also say with, with Georgia, hey, um, you know, Georgia's not going to play Nick Saban in Alabama. Like That's a real break for Georgia. Not so much in terms of the matchup between these two teams. Like 2022 Georgia is a lot better than 2022 Alabama. But on a broader scale like you went into the season thinking Georgia's going to have to go through Alabama to win it all the Bulldogs don't have to do that um so you know the, the matchup in the semifinal could get pretty interesting but the, the the national championship game probably will have a team that can compete with Georgia I think that Ohio State beats Michigan big uh because Michigan's passing game is just falling apart and Blake Corum is not 100 percent so uh, Michigan's limping into that Ohio State game. So I think Ohio State takes that one big. Uh, and then I think TCU is actually a not, a certainly a few notches below the other frontline contenders uh, because you, you, you've been following TCU in the Big 12. And, hey, it's been an amazing season. Like, who, who thought Sonny Dykes is going to be here in year one <laughs> with a chance to go to the playoff? Also, Lincoln Riley's younger brother, Garrett Riley. Like, he yes. – he, the Riley brothers could both be in the playoff. What a story that would be. So like, it's an amazing season for TCU, not trying to rain on the frogs parade, but you're aware like opposing quarterbacks got injured pretty much every week. I mean, like some big injury has happened to a TCU opponent so many different times. And the frogs came back from a 17 point deficit against Oklahoma state came back from an 18 point deficit against Kansas state came back from that late eight point deficit against Baylor with the fire drill field goal. I mean, th this has been a remarkable ride uh, for, for TCU. And so you, you think when TCU goes up against another top-tier opponent, that four-leaf clover is going to run out of magic at some point. You got to think. Yeah. Yeah, we'll see. It might be the playoff when it does run out of magic, but uh, certainly interesting to follow how this all will uh, play out. Uh, USC headed to the Big Ten, and UCLA is supposed to follow them. We'll see what goes on with the uh, California Board of Regents and, and all that situation. But uh, with, with everything where it stands right now, Matt, what do you think is going to happen here? Are we going to see the Pac-12 add teams and stay, stay afloat, or is there going to be a split? Um, what, what is the future of the Pac-12 you think hold right now? I think the, the thing I'm most confident about in terms of what happens to Pac-12 next, it's going to add San Diego State because there ha you have to have a school with a footprint in Southern California. You have to give the other teams in the Pac-12 a reason to travel down to Southern California for recruiting. So it's like San Diego State is the, is the school that the Pac-12 needs to get, and I think the Pac-12 will get because like there, that, there's mutual benefit on both sides of that. For the Pac-12, for San Diego State, San Diego State created a new stadium, is investing in facilities. It's it's the right match for both sides. Now, the question marks, you know, Gonzaga and, you know, I, I think it was Brett McMurphy who said, you know, that uh, talks with the Big 12 are intensifying. So I'm, I don't know what's going to happen with Gonzaga. 
in terms of basketball only membership. Fresno State and SMU. Now you talk to Pac-12 insiders. Those are the other two schools who could join San Diego State as a 12th member. But like there's no law saying you have to have 12. We could have the Pac-11 with San Diego State. So right now, I think San Diego State getting added to the mix. That's the one thing I feel safe about. The other things, um, I don't really know. And then, of course, we need to see what the Pac-12 does in terms of its television deal and its media rights deal. You know, Brett Yormark did a fantastic job getting the money that he did uh, for Big 12 schools. Uh, so we'll see what George Klyavkov is, is going to do. Uh, you know, the, 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 the rumor on the street is that he's going to get a digital deal with Amazon, but that's going to be his play, his angle to try and get close to the Big 12's money. I don't think he's going to quite match the Big 12 money, but I think he can come fairly close to that, you know, Oregon, Washington, uh, Utah, Colorado, the Arizona schools don't jump ship for the Big 12. I, I think that's a, another reasonable outcome. Not that the Pac-12 matches the Big 12 money, but gets close enough that no one's going to want to jump ship. And, and so with that, here's what I wonder, though, if – you know, the, the Big Ten thing is still out there, you know, with, with Oregon and Washington. And those rumors haven't died down by any means. When, when you're the Pac-12 here, aren't they going to struggle to get their teams to sign a new grant of rights here? To me, not only is the TV negotiation, but why on earth would you sign a new grant of rights, a long-term grant of rights agreement right now if you're Oregon or Washington or some of these schools that might have Big Ten interest? I think it goes to... The point that, you know, if Fox, which, you know, of course, was behind the USC-UCLA move, you know, Fox is supplying the, the TV money. Uh, if Fox wanted Oregon and Washington, it would have made the invite over the summer. And, and it didn't. And I think that's and I, and I will admit to being surprised, like, you know, this USC-UCLA story broke on June 30th. I was thinking that within two weeks, Oregon and Washington would get invitations uh, from the Big Ten. And it didn't happen. And uh, industry insiders uh, said in terms, like in terms of their own internal valuations, uh, like former executives at Fox and other TV networks, they said Stanford is worth 15 million more per year than Oregon, and that blew me away because Oregon's been making national championship games, made the first college football playoff in 2014, won a Rose Bowl a few years ago. You know, remained nationally relevant. You know, still could play in the Pac-12 championship game next week and get to the Rose Bowl uh, this season, but. Stanford's in the Bay Area market and Oregon's in the Portland market. And so that TV difference, uh, also Stanford's academic and research and development reputation, like all those kinds of things, apparently, you know, according to the people who you know, crunched the numbers, uh, that that makes Stanford a much more valuable property in Oregon. Not what I was expecting, but that is what a lot of people behind the scenes have been saying. So I think that, uh, you know, the incentives for leaving or it is kind of irrelevant because it, it, you might want to leave if you're Oregon, but if no one takes you, <laughs> where are you going to go? So that is really the thing that the, the demand for Oregon and Washington from the Big Ten, from other conferences, has not been nearly as great as I think a lot of us, myself included, thought it was. And so if there's no outside demand, that's going to keep the Pac-12 relatively intact. I would say, though, that if George Klyavkov does not fetch a significant number in the upcoming media rights negotiations, when he, you know, when he signs a deal, then that that really is what's going to keep uh, schools from uh, you know saying, hey, we're going to anchor ourselves here. That That's what uh, that's really the next big domino to fall. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a great point. And, and we'll kind of end on this uh, you know, with, with that being said. 
I mean, the, the gap is going to be so significant. It's already a big amount as is, but if you're you know, one of those Pac-12 schools and you see what the Big Ten and the SEC and some of these other conferences are making here, I mean, the Pac-12 as it is, is just not sustainable like that. Eventually, I mean, you're, you're, you're going to keep, keep calling the Big Ten, right? I mean, just because you, you can even sign a new grant of rights and you're still wondering how do we get out of this thing eventually because that gap's only going to get further from here, right? Uh, you know, probably, I mean, and you know, how the landscape looks in a few years when Texas and Oklahoma do join the SEC and when all of these realignment moves are finalized. Also, the other thing we have to keep in mind is the 12-team playoff plan and what that looks like, how the television pie is split up, uh, what the particulars of the final plan are in terms of automatic bids, at-large bids. And the other thing is that, you know, five years from now, once we're like a couple years into the, the new 12-team playoff, all the current grant of rights deals, they're going to be five years more advanced. So like leaving, getting out of a grant of rights in 2027, 2028, going to be a lot less expensive than it is now. In the bigger picture, I think we're going to see a lot of realignment at the very end of the 2020s, the end of this decade. We're just not going to see anything in the next few years because there are just so many uh, uncertain elements to it. But once those uncertainties become certainties and people can see the new financial landscape and all the exit fees and penalties for leaving a grant of rights uh, become substantially lower, I think that at the end of this decade, you're going to see another round of realignment. It's just not going to happen right away, but it's but it's around the corner, you know, several years down the line. Matt, we're out of time. Appreciate you joining us, man. Where could people find you and see all the great work you're doing, man? Trojanswire.usatoday.com. It's under the Gannett uh, USA Today umbrella. And uh, we're partnering with uh, our friends at Fighting Irish Wire uh, to cover the heck out of this Notre Dame-USC game. So follow us at Trojanswire and follow uh, Nick Shepkowski uh, at Notre Dame uh, Fighting Irish Wire. We're just going to cover the heck out of this game. We have a lot of fun content for you as well. So you want to just read our two websites uh, this week and, and hope you'll enjoy it. Awesome stuff, Matt. Appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us, man. Great to be back on your show, Tyler. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah, shoot too. Time for Coach Bowl's Football Fix, presented by O'Connor Advisory Group. You can find O'Connor Advisory Group online, ohgks.com, Group.com. You can reach out to Bo by phone at 785-856-0720. That's 856-0720 to schedule an appointment today. He is Brian O'Connor the host of the Coach Bo Knows podcast out each and every Monday and Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts, and he joins us right now. Bo, it was good to see you in Lawrence this past week. Thanks for uh, having me at your place, man. We had a good time, and now yeah. it's uh, Thanksgiving. So uh, I got to ask you the million-dollar question. Best Thanksgiving dish is what? Oh, man. Uh, I'm kind of a carnivore, so give me the turkey and the ham. Okay. Yeah. Solid choice. Yeah, I mean, I just uh, I love I'm a meat guy. So, if you had to go sides, I'd probably go mashed potatoes. Okay, so pretty simple, meat and potatoes. Yeah, I'm an okay. Irishman. What do you want from me? <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Uh, Bo, what a uh, week it is. Uh, we'll get to some headlines coming up later, but we'll start with a look at our uh, picks against the spread. As Thomas Bridges is here with us as well, and. We'll uh, pick these games one by one. Championship week is next week. 
This week in college football, it's rivalry week with some of the best rivalries in the country. And, and uh, of course, NFL action. You got three games on Thanksgiving Day as well. The college slate includes number three, Michigan, and number two, Ohio State. Uh, that game, Ohio State's favored by seven and a half at home. Number 15, Notre Dame, and number six, USC in Los Angeles. USC favored by five and a half. Number nine, Oregon, and number 21, Oregon State in the Civil War. Oregon favored by three on the road. Number 19, Tulane, taking on number 24, Cincinnati. Cincinnati favored by two. South Carolina taking on Clemson, that game at Clemson, with the Tigers favored by 14 and a half. In the NFL, on Thanksgiving Day, the Giants and the Cowboys square off with the Cowboys favored by nine and a half at home, both teams with a Seven and three record. Dallas got the best of the Giants last go round. A sneaky good game between the Bengals and the Titans taking place on Sunday. The Bengals favored by one and a half on the road. Patriots and Vikings on Thursday night. The Vikings favored by two and a half. Packers and Eagles in Philly. Philly favored by seven. Falcons and Commanders. Washington favored by four. So, guys, let's go ahead and uh, get started with uh, the college slate of games. Michigan and Ohio State. Ohio State favored by seven and a half here. Bo, um, this game, Michigan get the best of Ohio State last time, but they're coming in off a disappointing performance against Illinois, and their best player, Blake Corum, uh, suffered an injury last week. He's expected to be fine, but some red flags for this Michigan team heading into this game here. I watched a lot of Michigan's game last week, and Corum getting hurt was a big deal. Um, he is their best player, and he runs that offense. He's so important to the offense. Um, Michigan is one of those teams. It's, this game is one of those – it could go either way. Um, what I think will happen, you'll have one of two things. If Ohio State gets too far ahead early, Michigan can't come back on them. Michigan's not a team that can score a lot of points quickly. Now, the thing is that this game is close early. They get to halftime, and this game is within a score. They look for Michigan to really establish the run in the second half, and that's when they run away in games. They just start pounding away on you. If Corum plays and is healthy, and I don't know his health status yet, Michigan has a chance here. If he's not healthy – Ohio State has the upper hand. I don't know in the health here. In the sake of just trying to be right, like right now, I just wouldn't bet this game on as we record this on the Tuesday. But um, I would want to know more information. But I'll take Michigan plus the seven and a half. I think this is a closer game than people think. But I think that Ohio State most likely wins this game. All right, uh, I'm going to disagree with you, Bo. I like Ohio State here. To me, all the writing's on the wall. It does not look good for Michigan. It's been over a thousand days since the last time Ohio State beat Michigan. Remember, they didn't play this game uh, the COVID year. I think Ohio State makes a statement. They win this game. I think they dominate and win big. I'll go with the Buckeyes to cover seven and a half. Tom, uh, who you got here? We got both for Michigan. I got Ohio State. You get to uh, split the difference here. Yeah, you know, Jones, I'm going to have to uh, go with you this time. Um, I think me and Bo were even last week on almost every game, and we shit the bed and to pick them. 
Um, not, I'm not saying Ohio State because of that. I mean, you had Blake Corum get injured. This is kind of an injury that, that when you look at the injury, I thought it was bad enough when I saw it. And this is before I went to Norman to watch my team get slaughtered in the first quarter, at least. Um, I saw that injury happen. He gets hit, and it's one of those injuries that hurts bad enough that he forgets to hold on to the ball. Uh, and we're talking about one of the better running backs in college football. Probably the best. He, he's not playing. He's not going to play. I highly doubt it. I would put money. I would rather put money down on Blake Corm's not going to play than to put money down on the spread. But yeah. for the sake of what we're talking about now, Ohio State is going to win this game by more than 10. Are they going to win by more than 20? Probably not. But I do feel confident enough in Ohio State covering the spread here. Yeah. I don't disagree with you guys at all. I just I don't know where Quorum is. Yeah, we're not can play. Roasting I think yet. it's a close game. We're and not roasting. Yeah. I think Ohio State's really super talented. I think they're the best team in the country. They struggled with Maryland. Yeah. I, I think those they've had a couple of games. They had that game against Northwestern, too. They struggled. I, I think Michigan's a fraud team. They didn't play anybody all year. They got exposed against Illinois last week. Yeah. I don't care if Blake Corum plays or not. I like Ohio State big yeah. in this game, personally. Yeah. So. Oh, damn. Jones doubling down. Yeah. Um, Notre Dame taking on USC. Notre Dame's played a lot better football as of late. Got the upset win against Clemson where they dominated USC. Won a nail biter last week against UCLA. Uh, you know Caleb Williams leading that uh, game winning drive there in, in the uh, final minutes. Uh, Caleb Williams, one of the Heisman favorites now, with uh, USC favored by five and a half at home. Uf- USC playing for a playoff berth here. Notre Dame trying to play spoiler and possibly get into the New Year's Six mix. Bo, what do you think about this game here? USC favored five and a half. Okay, Notre Dame has revitalize their season. They were bad for the first three weeks. I mean, they're straight up bad. They've won, was it seven in a row? Something like that. I mean, it's and they put a whooping on Clemson. That's the best team they've played all season. But this USC team can score points. They can run it up on you. Now, they can't stop a nosebleed. But Notre Dame also does not have a great offense. I think USC wins at home. I was at this game last year at Notre Dame. Um, and last year, just there was the bad quarterback play. USC didn't have a football coach at that time. Uh, I'm going to take USC. I'm going to lay the five and a half. I think this is going to get um, Caleb Williams. I think Caleb Williams is going to win the Heisman. I think this is the game that gets it for him. And I think USC, with a little bit of help, can still get in the playoffs. Okay. Uh, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to go with Notre Dame to cover this game. I like them as a five-and-a-half-point dog. I think that they're the more physical team here. I think USC struggles with physicality. We saw that in that Utah game a couple weeks ago. Notre Dame's hot right now. I like Notre Dame to cover that five-and-a-half. And you know what? I I think they get it done outright, too. I like uh, Notre Dame to out-physical USC and Pull off the upset here. Bo, uh, Tom, you get to split the difference again. Who do you got here? Uh, you know, I'm going to go with USC. I think 
I, I think Kayla Williams is the difference. Um, I'm Notre Dame started off slow and they've gotten better. Uh, um, you know that the coaches kind of really turned some things around. I think. I think uh, what's his, what's his name? Marcus Freeman. Marcus Williams. Marcus Freeman. Marcus Williams is the Ravens' safety. You know, teach your own. You know, but <laughs> you know, I, I it, no. At one point this season, I thought Notre Dame might have considered hiring even a Marcus Williams because <laughs> they didn't really believe. <laughs> uh, I mean, it was close. Was it not close? Oh, uh, he, I mean, remember he lost it, that bowl game to OSU too. He started out his coaching career what zero and four. Yeah, you know, and it's like. You know, I don't know. Um, I, I think I, – was it the, the game, Jones, you came to Arizona State? We went in the gas station. They were losing to Marshall. Yes. Yeah, and I thought it was – I thought it could have been over. Um, you know, despite the we are Marshall, he, he came back and said, you know, we are Catholic. And uh, he did enough Hail Marys and, uh, you know, seemed like he might have had some things under control. I still do think USC gets the better of them. Um, and with, you know, as we call Michigan losing, I think USC is the, the, the fourth team that probably sneaks in the playoff. Okay. So uh, you got USC winning and covering five and a half. Uh, the Civil War, Oregon and Oregon State, the number nine team in the land, the Oregon Ducks, uh, with two losses on the year, got blown out by Georgia, lost a nail-biter at home to Washington a couple weeks ago. Oregon State, 21st in the country. Bo, we've talked a lot about KU and the turnaround story there. Oregon State was just as bad, if not worse, than than KU within the last few years. And they have turned into a top 25 team. They've had a really good year. They're a three-point underdog at home. Bo, uh, really good rivalry game here between Oregon and Oregon State with the Ducks favored by three. What do you think here? I'm going to take Oregon State here. And the reason I'm taking Oregon State – even in their losses, they've been close. Um, even their losses have been two, three, four points. I'd like to try to get the three and a half on a spread. Um, if I was going to try to actually bet this, I would wait for three and a half. And I think you might be able to get it. But I'm going to take Oregon State here. Um, a lot of this is based on I think Oregon's overrated. Um, I was going to jump on the Oregon train a couple of weeks ago. Then they pulled into Washington, and they got, they got, they got their ass kicked. I watched them a little bit last week. Bo Nix didn't look good in that game. I'm not a believer in Bo Nix. I'm going with, with Oregon State. I'm, uh, I'm going to disagree with Bo again. I'm going with Oregon uh, yes. on this pick. Oregon, a three-point favorite. I think uh, this is going to be a close game. comes down to the end, but I don't think three points is asking too much. I think Oregon can win this by five or six or or seven and still be a, a very close game between the two. So I'll go with the Ducks to uh, win and cover that three-point margin. All right, Tom, you get to split us again here. Man, I feel like I'm at a I'm feel like I'm at a fucked up blackjack game. Splitting <laughs> hands every time and and I don't have a chance. So, you know, I gotta I gotta split. Uh, you know, I got to go with Oregon. Uh, I know they've kind of disappointed. Uh, you know, there was a lot of momentum at, even after they lost to Georgia in the first game of the season, but kind of disappointed. It's, uh, you know, they've kind of fallen off, so, but I will still take them. I don't think Oregon State's a bad team, though, um, but I still like Oregon in this. I think Bo and I are going to agree on this next game here. 
Number 19, Tulane, taking on number 24, Cincinnati. The Bearcats favored by two at home. Cincinnati was a rebuilding year, and yet they still find themselves in the top 25. Tulane has had their best season in a very long time. They put on a show on Thursday night last week against SMU, put up a lot of points. An underdog here, both Tulane here. I don't know how you don't pick Tulane based on the way that they've played and the offense they can put up here. I would pick them to win outright. You're going to give me two points? Easy money. Take, Give me Tulane, right? I'm taking the green wave. Uh, there's just no doubt. Um, they don't have a great offense, but they ran up some points last week. You and I watched that game together, and they were just dominant. They were dominant early, and I think that was a statement from them not playing well the week before. Um, Cincinnati's a talented team. They don't have the players. They don't have Sauce Gardner and a few of the guys from last year, but – Tulane's really good. They're well coached. They have the best defense in the American the American Conference. I like Tulane here. Give me plus two. I think Tulane wins outright. I also think Tulane then wins next week against UCF in the in the American Conference Championship game, and I think they're headed to a, a, a January sixth, a January first bowl game. That'd be awesome for <laughs> Tulane for sure if they get in one of those uh, New Year's Six bowls. Tom, uh, who do you got here? Tulane or Cincinnati? Yeah, we're going to have to have a star frame here, and I'm going to have to take Tulane as well. Um, green wave, baby, all the way. I, I agree, too. I think they get in the New Year's Six Bowl. And, you know, if if I'm the other team that gets in the New Year's Six Bowl with them, which I'm assuming will probably be maybe, what, the Cotton Bowl? Yeah. Yes, I believe I'd, so. I'd be terrified. I, You know, give me the bigger team over Tulane because Tulane, at, at this point, as good as Tulane is, still at the end of the day, you look at the season, Tulane's playing with house money. They don't give a shit. Yeah, you, you, know? you know, you're talking about earlier about Oregon State and, and K, you mentioned KU and their turnarounds. This was a 2-10 and 10 team last year at Tulane. Yeah. Hey, but Willie but they still were close, of, right? Like yeah. they almost beat an OU team that was a lot yeah. better last year. Yeah, they that game got moved, if you remember, from New Orleans to Oklahoma – could have made all the difference. Right. And they and they damn near beat Oklahoma. And they, if that game had one more possession, I they think Tulane wins that game. Then Tulane beats Kansas State this year at Kansas State. And it's they're not a, a they're not a team that's gonna I think last week they ran up like 54 points. They don't really do that. But their defense keeps them in every game. And the reason they lost to UCF two weeks ago was because UCF punched them in the mouth early. And got three touchdowns in the first quarter. So I don't don't know. Tulane feels like, guys, uh, the team that you would choose in NCAA football. And this is the year that you would have, like in dynasty mode, year one. You get the upset over K State. You're competing for a conference title, going for a New Year's Six Bowl. That's the type of vibes. The way that they run the football and can put up points the way they do. I get that vibe. Like a like a video game dynasty team with Tulane here. So you know, it reminds me of think about a new year's six bowl and think about 15 years ago. And, and I'm not going to say Tulane is the next one of these teams, but at the same time, if Tulane goes out and gets to new year's six bowl, like the cotton bowl that has shades of OU versus Boise state. I can see, uh, the, I see where uh, you're going there. I see where you're going there. 
I, I would say that, I mean, that Boise State team had some NFL talent. Uh, yeah, you know, in that, this Tulane team's not to their level. But Tulane also, you know, you talk about building a program here. All of their top competition in the American is moving on next year to the Big 12. Tulane has a chance not only to win the league this year with everybody else going out, but to take control of the American for the next several years to come. So very interesting to see what they can put together. Yeah. Last college yeah. game. South Carolina taking on number eight, Clemson. Clemson, a 14-and-a-half-point favorite. Bo, is that too many points for Dabo and the Tigers here? Look, you know what I think about Dabo. I think he's the most overrated coach in America. And uh, South Carolina's got something with Beamer Ball here. Um, You know, Spencer Rattler had the best game of his life last week. And I think that a lot of people are going to jump on South Carolina here because they scored a bunch of points and just dominated Tennessee in every which way you can. Yeah. Early in that game. I have said Clemson all season is a fraud. They'll continue to be a fraud. Give me South Carolina, the plus the points. Don't be shocked if the Gamecocks pull this off all the way. I think they very well could. Um I'll say, though, credit to Spencer Rattler for playing the game of his life last week. Absolutely. Best game I've ever seen. Yeah, best game for sure. But, I mean, you talk about, like, the fraud thing. I do wonder what Spencer Rattler are we going to see? Because we have seen him play very bad at points this year, too. I mean, yes, Clemson is a fraud. No question about it. But I could very well see the flip side of Spencer Rattler going out there and throwing three picks after the way he played last week, too. I'm going with South Carolina here um, to cover. I feel good about that, but I'm not ready to jump on them winning, beating two top ten teams back-to-back weeks just because I don't trust Spencer Rattler, Paul. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't disagree. All right, Tom, uh, who do you got here, South Carolina or Clemson? Carr is covering 14 and a half. Um I don't think they win it, though. I mean, that's a tough – I agree with you, Jones. It's a tough task to ask him to go in, beat Tennessee um, the way they did, and then to just come out and then beat Clemson. Um, I don't think Clemson's a very good team. I, I think they're a good team. I don't think they're what they're used to, though. I've seen tough games against them, against Wake Forest. There's games Clemson should have lost. They should have lost to Syracuse. They should have lost to Wake. Um, and I think this is another one of those games where we talk about it at the end of the day, they should have lost to South Carolina, but they don't have enough to get it done. I will take, I will take uh, South Carolina to cover though. Okay. Uh, to the NFL giants and Cowboys. Bo, one of my favorite Thanksgiving traditions is watching the Cowboys lose. Uh, <laughs> and here they are nine and a half point favorites. I mean, I understand Vegas always loves the Cowboys, loves getting the betters going, but, I mean, haven't we seen this however many times before where the Cowboys, doesn't matter how well they're playing, find a way to, you know, choke on Thanksgiving or something here? I I like not only the Giants to cover nine and a half. I know I've been big on underdogs today. I think the Giants go in there and they whoop that ass. I think they get it done and – Spoil the Cowboys Thanksgiving celebration here. Uh, they feast on a Dallas. I like New York nine and a half here. How about you? It's a lot of points. Um, 
And you look at the Giants got upset last week. You have the Cowboys with their blowout of the Vikings. I think that inflated the line a little bit. But I don't know. I don't know that I trust the Giants offense. I think Saquon Barkley is back to being one of the best backs in the in the whole league. I think he's an MVP candidate. But I think it's going to be really hard on the road here in Dallas, especially with no threat of a passing offense right now. I'm going to take the Cowboys minus nine and a half here. Ooh, okay. All right. And I know you didn't want to do that either. I mean. No, I, I, right now I need to see a little more. Uh, here's what I've said. We were just talking about this on my podcast last night. The Cowboys are a team that in a one-game scenario I don't want to face. Because in any one-game scenario, they can play as well as any team in the league, including Buffalo and Kansas City. Yeah, I just I in one game situation they can beat you. I don't like McCarthy. Um, I I like Dak. I, you know, Elliott's a little healthier now. Pollard's been great. They got a run game. I just I think this and the Giants. I think they're you know. Seven and three, they've picked. Okay, all right. Uh, so you're going with the Gi- with the uh, Cowboys. I'm going with the Giants. Tom, get split the difference again. Who are you going with here? All right, put me back up on the table, baby. We're splitting them. Um, you know what? Cowboys just come off of a a decimation of a really good Viking team, who I like to potentially make the Super Bowl. Um. You know, everybody has their bad games, but I do think the Cowboys win. I think nine and a half is a little too steep. I, I think Vegas is playing on that ass whooping they laid on the Vikings. Um, and, you know, the Giants are what, coming off of a game where they didn't look too hot either. You know, the Giants look tough early on, but it's struggling to come on. Jones, you mentioned that you love to see Dallas lose on Thanksgiving. I'm going to take the Giants to cover this. I, I don't know if I had to if I had to bet straight up, I'd take the Cowboys, but not going to be struck, shocked if old Danny Jones comes in and, and gets her done. My cousin, yes. There uh, you go. He, he can you have, have a lot of you have a lot of cousins. He can Eric. have all the leftovers if uh, if they beat the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. We'll, we'll, we'll take care of cousin Dan uh, after that one. Um, <laughs> The uh, Bengals and the Titans, uh, that game in Nashville, the Bengals are favored by one and a half here. Bo, both these teams are playing better football as of late. Who gets it done here? Uh, one and a half for Cincinnati. What do you think? We were just talking about these two teams on my podcast this past week too. And Titans are coming around. They've got a healthy quarterback now in Ryan Tannehill. But this is the easiest game left on the Bengals' schedule. The Bengals, I mean, they have one way, the Browns coming up in three weeks. Other than that, they play a murderer's row, the schedule. You want to check it out. They play the Chiefs coming up. They've got Buffalo still. They've got the um, they got the 49ers coming up. I mean, it's just – it is just Ravens like, again. The yeah. Ravens later in the season. It, it is a murderous schedule for the Bengals. They need every game they can get if they're going to make the playoffs and make any kind of run. I think they understand that now. 
Joe Burrow has looked great the last month. He hit two picks last week. If you watched, one of them was a tipped pass. The other one, the receiver fell down. Um, it was just, just it was one of those weird deals for him. Uh, I like the Bengals here. I like the Bengals will win. I like them three or four points. I don't think they blow the Titans away. So no one's going to beat the Titans by a bunch. The Bengals here. Okay. You're on with the Bengals. Uh, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to go with the Tennessee Titans to uh, take care of this one, to uh, cover as an underdog at home. I like the way that they performed against Green Bay last week, the way they ran the football with Derrick Henry. Uh, the defense is coming along. Those receivers are getting better as well. Um, Tennessee is a turn the corner here. They're, they're a scary football team now. Credit to Mike Vrabel, one of the best coaches in the league. I'll go with Tennessee as a one-and-a-half-point dog. How about you, Tom? Yeah, this is a this is a tough one. I I do like Joey B here, um, but the Titans are. Listen, if Mike Vrabel had more talent, if if Mike Vrabel was had Joe Joey Burrow, oh goodness, I, I mean, you know, Burrow Burrow would do with Burks and Robert Woods and. You know, Burrow could even probably get Derrick Henry to catch out of the backfield, um, which I'm not saying he can't. But it they would make it. They would just it would be incredible. Um, Vrabel should win if the Titans do what they need to do, and and can get and even even though they're in a horrible division, if they can do what they need to do. And, and get to that level, Vrabel should win Coach of the Year every single year. He's incredible. Um, I do think the Bengals will take this game. But uh, the only reason the Titans are, one, competitive usually, and, two, getting a new stadium shortly, it's because of Mike Vrabel. He's done a hell of a job, no doubt about yeah. it. Uh, Vrabel deserves a lot of credit. Patriots and Vikings, the Vikings favored by two and a half here. Bo, uh, New England, has played a lot better as of late. Supposed to be a down year for Belichick and company. Here they are again, and they're right in the midst of the uh, playoff hunt. And they might even have the best defense in the NFL at this point. Vikings, two and a half. How do the Vikings respond here? Do they respond with a win at home against New England, favored by two and a half? I think so. I think that last week woke them up of, they're not as good as we all as that they thought they were. Um, you know, a lot of people like myself who weren't that keen on them said, "Hey, look, you got weapons. Dalvin Cook's great. Justin Jefferson might be the best receiver in the league. You got Thielen and Hawkinson. Pretty good defense. We don't all trust number eight. Is the problem? Um, I don't trust Kirk Cousins. But in this case, I just think it swings the other way. I mean." You get beat 40-3 to three by Dallas last week. I think that it's going to swing back this way. They're going to show some pride. I'm taking the Vikings here, and this is more that I think we'll see them take a little less risk. It would be interesting to me. The nerd in me wants to know what do the Patriots think is – so how the Patriots play defense. They, they figure out what they think is the thing you do best and take that away. So I wonder if it's going to be to try to stop Dalvin Cook or to try to take the passing game away. Either way, I think it's going to be trying to stop the run. 
And I think we'll see a big game from Justin Jefferson. I think that's enough in the end. I'll take the Vikings. I'll go with the Vikings here as well. Uh, I'll agree with you on this. Uh, I like the Vikings to uh, take care of business and and uh, respond well. Uh, this is a good test for them uh, after that loss to see where they're at as a team. But back at home, short week uh, to dust things off after that loss. Uh, New England will, will make it an interesting game, but I think Minnesota pulls pulls away late. They cover that uh, two-and-a-half-point margin. Tom, who do you got here? I, th- I like I like the Vikings to bounce back. You don't take an ass whoop. If you're a good team, you don't take an ass whooping and and then don't bounce back, and I think Minnesota's a good team. Okay. Uh, Philadelphia taking on Green Bay. Philadelphia favored by seven here. Uh, both? Green Bay, they keep digging themselves into a deeper hole. And we've seen what makes this interesting as far as this line goes, the the lines have been very close for the Packers against the spread as of late. They just can't close out games and get the job done. Seven points at Philly. And Philly hasn't played as good the last couple of weeks. Almost gave one away against the Colts, lost the week before against the Commanders. Um what do you think about seven points here? Does that feel about right for, for Philly? I think so. I think the Packers are awful. Just flat freaking awful. I think the offense is terrible. They refuse to run the football. The Packers do. Um, the only way the Packers have any chance in this game is if they run the ball one and a half times as many times as they pass it. Rodgers has played like shit. Um, he's having the worst year of his career. That defense is not very good for the Packers. It should have been, it was going to be one of their brighter spots in this team. There's no receiver outside of Christian Watson, who's had two good games in a row. And I just don't see this even being competitive. I think the Eagles are going to blow the Packers straight out the water. I'll take the Eagles. I'll, uh, I'll pick Philly here as well. I think uh, this Eagles team. Uh, you know, got woken up a little bit the uh, last couple of weeks. You know, brought it back down to earth of some sorts. And if you need to make a statement, if you need to get yourselves back to form, I think just the idea of having to prepare for Aaron Rodgers should have uh, the Eagles' full attention here. I'll go with the Eagles to cover seven and win this game by ten. How about you, Tom? You know, I like the Eagles. You know, they 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 did struggle against uh Ted Lasso's Jeff Saturday's Colts. I was really rooting for the Colts, man. I was I was I was ready to put on an old school jersey. Um still am. I'm still rooting for Jeff Saturday. Um but I like the Eagles to even bounce back further and get the job done and continue on uh their great run this season. Okay. Uh, all right. Uh, last game on the slate of uh, games this week is the Commanders and the Falcons. Tom, uh, or Bo, rather, uh, both these teams have surprised this year. Commanders have been really hot as of late, and they get Chase Young back. They're at home. They're favored by four. Falcons, not a bad team, though. These are the two teams that are outside the playoff picture in the NFC right now. What do you think? Four points for Washington. Is that too much? No, I like the commandos here. Yeah, we refer to them as the commandos on, on my podcast. We don't call them the commanders, the commandos. So the commandos here, um, 
low-key have been the hottest team in the NFL over the last month. They just get better and better and better every week. They get I Chase Young. Right. They get Chase Young back this week, and the best thing they did is they didn't keep it as a quarterback controversy. They kept the the ugly redhead on the bench, and they're going to let Taylor Heineke play. I don't think Taylor Heineke's a franchise quarterback, but I think he's good enough with what they're trying to do. The Commandos are the one team in the NFC not currently in the playoffs that can get in. Yeah. And I think that that's a team to look out for. They've played fantastic over the last month. Give me the Commandos. I'm all over that one. Uh, I like the Commies here as well at four. Credit to Atlanta. Arthur Smith's done a really good job with that team, but I like Washington more than I do Atlanta right now. I'll uh, I'll take the Commies to uh, get things done here in uh, this game. Tom, how about you? I'm going to split them um, here, and I'm going to take the Atlanta Falcons. I like, uh, you know, I'm not necessarily a huge believer in Marcus Mariota. I think he's as good as Ryan Tannehill. Um, at least in this Falcons offense. And and Patterson has been the difference maker. And and to be honest with you, I'm going to double down uh, another Blackjack reference. And I'm going to say the Falcons are going to win the South. Ooh. I'm going to I'm going to tell you they're going to overcome the the Bucks and they're going to win the South. We were talking about the South on you know, when we recorded my podcast last night. And the Bucks are in the lead right now. The Falcons played great for the first eight weeks. They played much better than we – I mean, I thought the Falcons were going to be a two-win team. Their roster is still terrible. It's not good at all. And Listen, I thought the Seahawks and the Falcons were going to yes. be dog shit. Yeah, I would think both were going to be bad. I thought those were the two teams competing for the number one overall pick. I thought the, the – well, them and the Bears, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the in the Falcons, fields – Playing out of his mind. Yeah. And the Falcons have gotten more from Marcus Mariota than they could have ever expected. He is the perfect fit in their offense. On my pod, Uncle Rico and I argue about Marcus Mariota every week. He likes Jimmy Garoppolo. I like Marcus Mariota. I'm the guy who thinks that Marcus Mariota and a team that runs the football works out really well. Um, He's not a guy who can go win games for you, but he doesn't lose them for you either. The only game he's gone out and lost this year was the rain game in Keller in Carolina. One little anecdote on that. As we all know, I'm a big New Orleans Saints fan. I actually had bet on the Falcons in that game. And when I bet on them, I'm watching the game. And there was a big tackle early in the game where the Falcons stops the, the, the Panthers cold on a fourth down and a turnover on downs. I was like, yeah, there we go. And my wife says, what did you say? And I said, oh, my God. I just rooted for the Falcons. <laughs> I am not allowing myself to pick the Falcons. I just can't do it. But I will say, I think Arthur Smith's done a great job with that team this season. Yeah, he has. And I think Quindell Patterson is one of the most underrated players in the entire league. I, I still can't get over a running back wearing 84, though. That just yeah, it doesn't matter. blows my mind. It, he is incredible. He be he is just as good a wide receiver as he is a running back. Yeah, he's um, he's a he's a Debo Samuel, but I think he's better. Let's transition. This gets yeah. us to our NFL playoff picture. Let's start with the NFC. Tom says that he likes the Falcons to go 
with win the NFC South. Um, when you look at those four division leaders right now, the Bucks, the Niners, the Vikings, and the Eagles, who is the most likely to slip up and not win their division between those four teams right now, Bo? I have to look at the Falcons' Bucks schedules because the Falcons have a four, have a last place schedule, and the Bucks have a first place schedule. But I don't know who has what left. I I kind of want to think I want to be higher on the Seahawks than I actually am, but and if they can they can hold off the 49ers, but that team has regressed a little bit. It's almost like they got out to a certain point. And Geno Smith's played as well as he can play. And he's played great, but it's not sustainable. So if I had to choose one, I'd be probably – Tom's probably right. I mean, the Vikings are so far ahead in their division, they could play 20 games and still not get caught in their division. And um, let's say we got – what else you got? You got the north, south. The Eagles got like a two-game lead. Yeah. Right. I don't know if anybody's going to catch the Eagles. Um Again, I'm not trying to throw shade at the East because right now I think all four teams are good in that division. I think the Eagles are better. Um, I actually predicted I think the Eagles are going to go 15 and two. So I think the Eagles are going to win the rest. I think they're going to lose one more. I have them losing to the Cowboys on Christmas Eve. Other than that, I think they're going to go 15 and two. Um, I I think if I had to pick one in the NFC, it's probably the Bucks. Not that the 49ers are in first place. But I, I would like to see the schedules before I would say anything. I kind of think that the Bucks will just kind of cruise from here, especially with the Falcons losing Kyle Pitts. Okay. Um, the AFC side of thing, uh, you know, the Chiefs are the one seed right now. They're leading their division, and uh, that looks like it's a done deal with them uh, way ahead of the Chargers to that point. But then you have the Dolphins leading the – uh, AFC East right now ahead of the uh, Bills. They have the tiebreaker there. Then uh, you have the Titans with a big lead on the Colts. And then the Ravens with a one-game lead on the Bengals. And they also have the tiebreaker from the head-to-head over the Bengals. What about on the AFC side? Who's the most likely to not be the division champ of the current leaders? I think it, well, the Chiefs are going to win their division. They're going to run away with that. The, the Titans are going to run away with the South. I don't think the Colts can catch them. Um, in the East, everyone's good. The Jets are a year ahead of schedule. The Dolphins are very good. Buffalo is very good. The Patriots are even really solid. So I could see a change there. Um, and that's just going to be how does the games work out that last month. You know, They all play each other that last month. Someone's going to get hot and win that division. Uh, the advantage that the Dolphins have is – their game against Buffalo later in the year will be actually be in Miami. That's a big advantage. Um, I, I think the Dolphins aren't as good a team as the Bills, but I think that the schedule may work out well for the Bills. I don't think anyone catches the Chiefs, and then I think that um, the Bengals have already lost one or two to the to the Raiders. To the Raiders. Just the one. They still have one more to play, right? Yep. And again, there I think it's just that rate that they, I, even they beat the Ravens, they still gotta they still gotta tie them. And I looked at the Bengals' schedules past week; it's murderer's row for them. 
So I do think the Ravens will stay ahead, and I think the Bengals are a The Ravens have the easiest remaining schedule in the league. Yeah, I think that, and even if, and again, like I said, even if the Bengals were to catch them and beat them uh, head-to-head, I don't know if they can catch up the game they're down to them. So I I tend to think that the Ravens are going to be safe. I do think we're going to see the the wild-card teams be the Bengals in two teams out of the East. Okay. Um, the Vikings that we mentioned uh, running away with their division, but suffering that beatdown at home against Dallas last week. The question that's been on everybody's minds uh, with that Vikings team, Bo, are they frauds? Are they fraudulent? Did they get exposed last week or was it one bad game? Like, does that one game write them off as a Super Bowl contender? Or do you think they can still bounce back? I mean, I look at it twofold. They're a lot better than any of us thought they were going to be this year. But yeah. I don't know if they're necessarily going to take that next step and be a Super Bowl team. Well, I think the big thing is, is do you trust Kirk Cousins? No. And I don't. And I don't trust him. I, they've got every piece you can put around him around him now. Got a decent offensive line. They got two great receivers. They we got a tight end. They have great run. Good run game. Their defense is solid. They're going to run away from the division. The issue then becomes you're going to get in the playoffs. You know Philly's good. The 49ers are coming on. Dallas is a scary scenario in a one-game situation. We're going to see what they can do, the Vikings. Tom Brady, <laughs> Seattle. Yeah. So we were talking about that. So now you go in, now that Aaron Rodgers and the Packers are out, they're not getting in the playoffs. They'd have to win out plus get a shitload of help. So now I would tell you to look at this. The Eagles, the Vikings, the Cowboys – the Bucks, who are the other ones? The Commanders, Niners, Seahawks. And the 49ers, and the Seahawks. There's only one quarterback that's been successful in the playoffs on any of those teams, and that's Tom Brady. And that scares me because he's played horrible this season. He's had the worst year of his career. I know that they had the bye week this past week, and the week before he brought him back in the game. Look, he had really one great possession in that game. But I, I there's another notch that can get turned up in the playoffs. So either someone's going to have to make a reputation and earn it in the NFC, or we're going to see somebody t- or we're going to see Tom Brady take it from everybody. I think that it's going to be Jalen Hurts. I think the Eagles are the best team in the NFC. And I do think when it's said and done, you got to go to Philly and win. And that's going to be difficult for anybody. I, I yeah, I just it's a different animal. In, in the flip side of that conversation, we talk about the NFC really only has the one veteran quarterback. The AFC's got proven guys. You got Mahomes, you've got Josh Allen, you've got Lamar Jackson, you've got Joe Burrow. And that's just four of the seven teams. Well, you say proven guys, but at the same time, too, Josh Allen and Lamar haven't won the big games in the postseason yet. But Lamar, Lamar Jackson's been an MVP. Josh I mean, Allen's the second best second best quarterback in this whole league. But I mean, I we mean, can't say that they they haven't been able to win the big games in the postseason. But we I can, can say, say that. I, but I can say that they're the guys. I can't say sure. about anybody in the NFC. There's nobody. Sure, but I don't know NFC if they're going to show up when it matters. Well, I mean, I, the, the track record shows me that they're 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 good enough. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it. I, the AFC is so tough because of all the quarterbacks that are there. Right. So someone is going to make a reputation. 
or Brady's going to walk over them all. I think there's no chance that Brady walks over them all. Yeah. I mean, it's cool to say, yeah, he's 45 now. He's the best quarterback in the NFC historically. But I don't know. I think this is a year someone gets made a reputation. And I think it is. if it's not going to be Jalen Hurts, it's going to be Dak Prescott. Yeah. I think those are the two teams that I'm worried about. I just don't trust Kirk Cousins. Right. Speaking of Dak, um, seems very much increasingly that OBJ is likely going to end up with the Dallas Cowboys. I know you love OBJ as an LSU Tiger. Tom does too from helping the Rams win the Super Bowl last year. Dallas is already good. We know they need help at receiver. Um, This seems like a natural fit. If, If OBJ wants to be in Dallas and wants to play with Dak, and we saw what he did to make that Rams offense better and jumped right in right away and was their number two receiver, did a really good job here. Um, this could be a huge boost to the Cowboys if they pull in Odell. Yeah. I, I, it's scary to add Odell Beckham to that Dallas Cowboys team because they've got pieces. I mean, CeeDee Lamb's a great young player. Um, their run game is really good. But Odell Beckham is just – he's a different dude. Odell Beckham, people don't understand, is that he's not the guy who's going to go out there and get three touchdowns and 220 yards. He's not even going to give you high-volume games. But he's such a matchup nightmare that you have to know where he is on every play. You have to put special attention on him. And he can catch any damn thing thrown at him, even when he's covered. He's He's a different kind of cat in that way. That Rams offense last year, went to a whole other level when they got Odell Beckham. I mean, they were good, but when they got Beckham, they went to a whole different Super Bowl level. And the Cowboys' offense is good, and it could also go to a brand-new level they've never seen if they get this guy. I Tom, don't think it's going to happen. Tom, you saw it last year with uh, with OBJ in L.A. Uh, do you think that can be replicated with him in Dallas here? Dak's good enough. Dak is good enough. I mean, uh, Dak and Dak, Stafford are pretty comparable, right? Uh, you know, if and you know, granted, a prisoner of the moment, Tom. Dak uh, Stafford has taken two concussions. He's in concussion protocol. He already has a ring. Stafford already has a ring. His wife, his hot ass wife, is like, "Hey, baby girl, you know, like let's shut her down and take care of the kids." I think. Stafford, this next injury, because he he went through concussion protocol once, and then he got injured in this last game and was put back in concussion protocol. I do think Stafford could retire. Um, I think that's part of it. And I think OBJ is, and he's right, OBJ is 30. Um, He can still contribute, though. And so I I think if you had C.D. Lamb, and you had OBJ, uh, you know, at that point, it's like, okay, well, we have, you know, at that point, like for, for OBJ, it's like, okay, well, we have Cooper Cup and OBJ, and we had Robert Woods, but we also still have Van Jefferson. Like, like that's that's the playbook that Dallas should be going for, and they should pay him. Um, I don't know how good he will be after his ACL surgery. Um, but it's been encouraging for other teams that have had players have ACL injuries that have come back and been just fine. So 
One thing. Uh, I hate to say it. Dallas would only improve their team. Dallas could become lethal. Their defense is the best in the NFL. I really do think. I'll, I'll put money down on that. One more thing, and then we'll move on uh, here real quick, Bo. Um, it also sets up, too, if they bring in OBJ and get this done, no excuses, right? I mean, yeah. absolutely none. This is I already agree. a good team. You add OBJ in the mix. If McCarthy can't win playoff games with this team plus OBJ, he has to be gone. Like, it's it's yeah. get to the NFC Championship or bust. Yeah, it, McCarthy gets scapegoated if they don't win it. Um, you asked the question earlier, how good do you think Dak Prescott is? I'll say this. I think Dak, Dak Prescott's a top 10 quarterback. I think he's also the most under one of the most underrated quarterbacks in the entire league. Underrated? Um, uh, I turn on the TV. They 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 plot him about every day on, on television. You no, know, I mean, look, he's he doesn't get mentioned with the the top guys, and I'm not saying he's a top five quarterback, but I am saying he's a he's a tenth. You know, he well, we have the Ryan Tannehill rule. You know, the you got to be better than Ryan Tannehill. Ryan, Ryan Tannehill are better to win a Super Bowl. We started changing that a little bit. We call now the Dak Prescott rule. You got to have Dak or better. Dak is better than average, and I think he's hella athletic. I think the biggest knock that I've seen on the Cowboys with Dak Prescott is that they don't use his ability to run as much as they should. Yeah. I mean, look, when he was in college, especially in the first couple of years, what made him different his first couple of years is that his legs in the run game. And they've done that thing where they say, well, now he's the franchise quarterback. We don't want him to get hit. And I think that adage is kind of overrated because unless you have that dude, and as far as I'm concerned, there's only two of those of that dude, and that's Patrick Mahomes and Josh App. You don't have that dude. I'm not making decisions that way. I can spare about any other quarterback. If my quarterback can run, I'm going to use that to my advantage. I'm not saying Dak Prescott's Lamar Jackson as far as the run game. But he's a great read option guy. He was at Mississippi State. He was his first couple of years in Dallas. I'd like to see him do more of that. That would help Ezekiel Elliott in that run game as well. And then if you add Odell Beckham, I mean that you're going to see CD Lamb's volume actually go up. Yeah, it's going to be crazy. Watch that piece. If Odell Beckham goes, Lamb's catches are going up. Mm-hmm. I think he's so not going to have. He's not going to be doubled anymore. Right. Okay, one more NFL note, and then uh, we'll move on talk uh, college football here. Uh, some trouble in uh, New York with the Jets, a uh, little quarterback controversy. They let one go away that they very well should have won against New England this past week. Zach Wilson played terrible. He has not looked good this season. Uh, they've been winning games in spite of their quarterback play. Joe Flacco played much better. Joe Flacco played much better than Zach Wilson did when he started out the year. Bo, um, Robert Solid said he's not committed to Zach Wilson, that um, nothing's guaranteed at this point. What do you think? Should they make a change? Should they go back to Flacco? Are you out on Zach Wilson here? No, I'm not out. I think you play the kid. The Jets, I mentioned this earlier, the Jets are a year ahead of schedule. That was a team that was going to be a bad team this year. We knew this. We also knew that they were building a really great defense, and Robert, Robert Slalom is going to do a really great job of that. Um, I like him a lot. I like their defense. I like a lot of what they're doing. 
I was not convinced coming in that Zach Wilson was a was a was a good fit. I was I didn't like the draft pick. To be perfectly frank, we talked about that a year ago. Um, I I don't think you switch though because Joe Flacco is not going to help you in the future. And I got to know going into the next season if my young quarterback is my young quarterback. Because if he is, then we can fix it. If he's not, then we got to replace him. So I do think that it might it might cost the Jets a chance at a playoff spot. But I got to go with what I think the future of this team is. Because I don't think they're a Super Bowl contender anyway. Now, they may sneak into a playoff, but right now – I mean, do you think they would win? No, but here's where I would counter that. This is where I would counter that, Bo, is, you know, I'm not going to go as far as what old Boog had to say, the the stupid comment he made on Monday night that went viral of the, you know, saying that Zach hasn't had any accountability because he grew up in a rich family. Yeah, I think, you know, that was just a stupid take from Boog. Um, I wouldn't go to that extent, but I would say though, is, you know, hearing the rumblings about the locker room, not being happy yeah. with Zach Wilson and, and everything doesn't Robert Sala owe it to his players to put the best potential out there to give that team the best position to exceed. Don't you owe his teammates the best that they can put yeah. out there? So here's the question. Who has the better upside right now? Zach Wilson or Joe Flacco? I haven't seen any upside from Zach Wilson. I, I think you have to play the kid. I Because I think, to your point, it's important to know that this guy isn't the guy. And if you want to give him accountability, tell him, okay, you're playing the rest of the season. You fucked this up. and You won't be playing in 2023. That's how I can hold him accountable. Because, again, I don't think this is a Super Bowl team anyway. So why don't we go ahead and play the kid, roll the dice. If we finish the game out of the playoffs, that's just as good as getting a wild card and losing. This team this team was a five- to six-win team. The one thing we said real early in the season about the, the Jets was we liked the Jets' attitude. We liked what Solomon, what Solomon was doing. I love the young receivers. I love the young defense. And I think they've got a lot to build on, but they've got to know. You have to be sure now. And now that they're ahead of schedule, they have to know right now if Zach Wilson's the guy. If he's not, then he's gone at the end of this season. So give me these last six weeks. Let's find well, what out. Do what do you say? Got. What do you say to his the, the the players though? If they say, look. Zach's not our guy. This isn't working. We want Joe. Do you go against your players and say, too bad, we got to play? Yeah, I think you do, because I don't think anyone's going to be going. I don't even think those players are saying they, they want Joe. They're saying they don't want Zach. And I think even these players know that Joe Flacco is not the answer. It's somewhere. It may be a third quarterback. It may be someone on a practice squad. It might be someone in this draft. But I got to know, you have to look past what the next six weeks are to look at the next six years. Yeah. It'd be, it'd be different if they were winning the division right now. And if that division was them and just Buffalo, okay, we can talk differently. But that entire division is good. 
They're all playing each other in the, the last month. And the Jets are not going to be the favorite against any of those three teams right now. And how they lost this past week was a fluke. I mean, it was, yes, neither team scored. The defenses were great. It was 3-3. A punt return is being the difference in the game. Uh-huh. You can't just blame that on just the quarterback. At some other point, everybody, you got to score points. I mean, I get it. And, and the quarterback needs to solve that blame. But at the same time, that's the entire offense. Right. That's the running back. That's the receivers. That's the QB. It's the coaching staff. It's everything. Yeah. It cannot be laid on one person when you score three points. Now, we talked about the Vikings earlier. We didn't just lay it off on, on Kirk Cousins. We said we don't trust Kirk Cousins. Well, we said we don't trust Kirk Cousins to go to the Super Bowl. Right. We didn't say we don't trust him to win a game. Right. I think with this kid, and, you know, there was all this stuff in the offseason about, you know, his personal life and whatnot. Look, he's obviously immature. And I don't think it was a huge thing that Booger said that was wrong. I, I think he could have said it nicer. But he's not off base completely. Okay. I, I just uh, I, I look at it and go, this is the guy who probably hasn't been held accountable through his life, and now he's got to be held accountable with grown ass men around him. Yeah. But I think the way to do that is to say, all right, you know what? I gotta play this kid for the next six weeks. I go, I would go to my captains, I would tell them that. Look, I gotta play this kid because I gotta know what we got because there's three or four in this draft, and we can make a deal and get one of them, but I gotta know if that's what we're gonna do. Yeah. And the only way to know is this next six, seven weeks. Uh, move on. Talk college football here. Uh, is Len Kiffin going to Auburn? No. Yeah. No. Tom, you disagree, huh? You think he's gone? Yeah, but I think he's gone. I, I think he's said enough stuff to he, – even he wouldn't go back on what he said this last couple of days. And now he's all over Twitter saying he ain't going. And he's making fun of other people about, you know, sources and whatnot. I still think Deion Sanders is the next coach at all. Uh, if you look, from what I understand, there's two contingents at Auburn. There's a group that wants to go get a name, like Elaine Kiffin or someone, someone sexy. And there's a group that wants to go get Deion. And the group that wants to go get Dion has got a real big guy at the front of that line. And that's Bo Jackson. Bo Jackson's publicly down there saying he wants it to be Dion. Well, I think Dion gets that job. I think Dion is going to get a job this cycle. And one thing I would point to, Bo, is Jackson State just finished their regular season. They went 11 and 0. And they opted not to go to the FCS playoffs. And they're still going to go to the Celebration Bowl um instead and i mean it's a lot easier to leave a job when you just have one game coming up compared to a whole postseason there to me that felt like a a situation where dion was was is is getting ready to get out the door i think that's part of it too i think you're i think you're looking at that right the right way i I don't don't know if it's the auburn job but i think he's getting a if it's not auburn i know he's talking there's also colorado they're talking to him uh, South Florida is another job that's open that could be a Dion job. I think he's a, he's a great fit at Auburn. Because I think he'll be able to recruit there, too. 
And I think they want a guy with some flavor. And I and you know, you look at like he's in these Affleck commercials with Saban. Boy, that would look kind of cool if you're the Auburn people and it's your guy with the Alabama guy. Yeah. You know, I I I think Dion's gonna get the Auburn job. I do. And I and I think he deserves it. I think he's been great there. I think he's a fantastic coach. And I think he'll do good things at Auburn or wherever he goes. I don't think Colorado would be a great fit. Yeah. Uh, and that's more of, uh, I don't know that they are that they are in Colorado committed to having all in and having a great football team in a yeah. program. If they decided, yeah, they want to put some money into this and figure that all out, then that's a big splash of a hire. I was if thinking about the Auburn job. Auburn South job, a good With the I'm Auburn sorry. job, I mean, realistically – it's not the first, second, third, fourth, fifth, or even sixth best job in the SEC. I mean, you think about it, Bama's a better job, LSU, Georgia, Florida, Tennessee, and AM are all better jobs than no. Auburn. That's a and and they fire everybody, even if you win championships. That's a that's a tough place there. And um, as good as they've been historically here. I wonder exactly what they're looking for to keep a coach long-term necessarily, whether it's Dion or Lane or whoever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you, you, you don't have a whole lot of wiggle room at, at Auburn. No, it's true. And, you know, they had the thing when they won the national title, Gene Chizik was there. He just, he wasn't a good long-term fit there. And he had some NCAA problems. Um, that's going to be less of an issue now. This is the nature of the beast. And it isn't like Auburn doesn't have money. Right. And they really haven't hired a coach that's been a splash hire. Really ever. Ever. I mean, really, no, they haven't. I mean, Pat Dye is their best coach. I mean, that was, I mean, you know, since you look at that, you go, man, that was 30 years ago, uh, 40 years ago almost. So, I mean, it, I look at it and go, man, if there's a, if there's a way to make that Auburn job big, it's to hire Dion. I don't think it's Lane Kiffin. I do think it's Dion. And if I'm wrong and it is Lane Kiffin, it's a really dick move what Lane Kiffin's done in the last really 36, 48 hours on Twitter. Right before the Egg Bowl and everything, too. Yeah. Because yeah. he's, he, you know, there was the report that he's going to quit on Saturday and yada. And then right. he, put out a thing, he put out a thing this morning that said, um, sources tell me that such as such reporter is leaving this station to go to this station. The guy that reported it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's like, okay, wait a minute. That's childish. And you first off, you shouldn't be doing it this week when you got to play Ole Miss or you got to play Mississippi state. Um, and then two, that's not someone who's trying to, you can't go back. You can't, you can't do that. And then that report be right. What it, what it could be is it could be the uh, the old Lincoln Riley thing of uh, I'm not going to be the next LSU head coach, and then maybe Lane's looking at another job. Maybe it's yeah. not Auburn. Maybe it's something else. Yeah, I don't know where you'd go. He's right going now, to Tulane. Tulane. <laughs> Where's Willie Fritz going first? That's what I want to know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Lance Leipold got an extension. Uh, he's staying around at Lawrence till uh, 2029 is the length of uh, his extension. And 
Uh, you know, his name had been brought up for the Nebraska job, the Wisconsin job. Pretty exciting for Kansas to uh, have their coach extended to, to be there and build that program. But we also heard uh, reports came out that Matt Rule is no longer interested in the Nebraska job. So if Nebraska loses out on Matt Rule and Lance Leipold, who's going to be the next head coach? I, I, your Jimbo guess is as good as – what you got, Tom? Jimbo Fisher. <laughs> hey, you know what's funny? I guess we'll go over here. I don't know who'd be the next coach in Nebraska without it being. I, I thought it would be Matt Rule, honestly. Um, I think going back to the Leipold thing for a second, I think that it shows between the money that KU's putting on extending Lance Leipold, who's had a done a really great job. Um, and I think it also has to be acknowledged that some of the things and the things that are in place were put there by his predecessor, by, by Les Miles, you know, and they go get Jalen Daniels and, and Devin Neal. Those were guys that were there pre Lance taking that job. And it was a tough hire because especially the timing of it, you know, it wasn't in your normal, you know, this time of year where the circus kind of merry-go-round starts, but I, it, it's a great hire. It's a great extension. And I'm glad that keeps Leipold off the talk of Nebraska or anywhere else he may go. Um, Wisconsin, I guess, was the other one. But I think that it's great for KU. It's also that it shows a commitment to the football for the program. They're committing long-term to a coach. They're putting in so much money for the new stadium. It's an exciting time. And the commitment's there. And that's really cool. Yeah, and then to go on to the Nebraska thing, I don't know what they're doing. I they fire a coach two weeks into the season, and I get it. There was other issues. I mean, we've I think we've heard we haven't really talked on here, but we've all kind of heard some things. I don't know what's true and what's rumor, um, but things like coach being late to practice, other off the field issues, and you and I were talking about some of that stuff privately last week. Um, you know, I if they swing and miss on Matt Rule, they don't they can't get Lance Leipold. It, it's, is it gonna be going and getting either a hot coordinator or is it going and getting a retread somewhere? And I don't know that what Nebraska's commitment is. That's a team that has since um oh I'm trying to think the winner went to Ohio. Um Frank Solich. Frank Solich, exactly. Since Frank Solich was fired, which was a terrible fire. Everyone knew it at the time, too. I mean, he won 10 games, they fired him. I don't know who the fuck they think they are at Nebraska. But at the same time, from there, they've made bad hire after bad hire after bad hire. Nebraska thinks that they are an upper echelon program when it comes to what they're, what they're wanting to hire, but they're just not. They're not even an upper half of their conference at this point. There's going right. to have to be a different commitment from the university. And if Trev Alberts messes this higher up, he's going to lose his job as AD. Yeah. That's generally how that works. But yeah. yeah. I mean, you're, you're he don't right have a chance that. to hire two. No. No. Or hire three in this case, I guess. Uh, it'd be two. He, he uh, well, actually, this would be his first. His first. No, yeah. He hired. He hired Frost, didn't he? No, he didn't. No, he didn't. Oh, he okay. just started the job a year ago. Oh, okay. 
Uh, no, he made the decision to bring Frost back, is what oh, he did. Okay. Uh, uh, last, thing. last thing before we go, uh, a look at the uh, college football playoff picture. Bo, uh, where things stand right now when it comes to the playoff, it's uh, it's pretty simple, isn't it? I mean, TCU, Ohio State, and Michigan all control their own destiny. Georgia is basically already in at this point. We're really just trying to figure out if LSU upsets Georgia, what that does, if that gets LSU in. If USC wins out, do they find a spot in? Um, we're, we're down to what, you know, six, seven teams now competing for these four spots? Um, let's see, outside the four, yeah, I think it's just six now. The two outsiders are LSU, LSU, who's a circumstantial thing of, you know, winning the SEC, and then uh, the other one being um, USC. Right. So, yeah, because I, I don't see anyone catching up. Even Clemson winning out, I don't think is going to be good enough. Um, they're the one one-loss team in there, but I don't think that they could – even if they do win out, I don't think that it's going to be enough to get them back in the argument. There's too many good teams ahead of them. Um, I look at it and say, well, okay, we got the elimination game this week between Michigan and Ohio State. If the loser loses this game big, they're out. The only way you can fight your way back in if you're Ohio State, if you lose to Michigan, if Michigan were to drop the Big Ten championship game, or if TCU were to lose, Ohio State could fight back in saying, hey, we've done this, this, this. We lost a close game against Michigan. You know, Michigan hasn't really beat – you mentioned this earlier. They haven't beaten a ranked team yet until this past, but they beat Illinois was ranked. But that came down to a last-minute kick. Um, If Michigan loses to Ohio State, I don't think they can fight their way back yet. So then you got Georgia, win or lose, is in. Even if they lose to LSU, they're going to have just one loss. They're in. LSU can play in, but they're going to have to beat Georgia. And if they beat Georgia, I think they should get in. In the end, I'll take the I'll, I'll take Ohio State. I think I'll win that game. I think it'll be close. I'll take Georgia. I am not sold on TCU winning these last two games. I mean, I, I could see them losing to K-State in a Big 12 championship game, but they're likely going to win. And yeah. then it comes down to, I don't think that LSU will beat uh, Georgia. And I think USC plays their way in. Real quick, um, we'll end on this. If, uh, if you were the committee, if I handed Bo all the power right now, LSU beats Georgia, USC wins out. You can pick one to go. Two loss LSU or one loss USC. Okay, you know I'm biased here, first off. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna argue that it's definitely SEC champion LSU. Uh, but I think that's the argument is that it's SEC champion. It's you will have beaten Georgia and Alabama. And your losses are a one-point loss to a ranked Florida State team at the beginning of the season. And then you lost to Tennessee, who most people think is a really good team. And so, would it just been better if you played an FCS school instead of Florida State? 
yeah. I mean, you could have played anybody. I mean, that that game was – and that was also Brian Kelly's first game as head coach. Right. I mean, look, I, I, I don't think LSU is going to beat Georgia. I'm rooting for them. And next week I'll pick them because I never not pick my Tigers. But the argument for USC is a, is a compelling argument. They will have beaten UCLA. They will have beaten Notre Dame, who's a ranked team, and done well. And Notre Dame has been hot. They will have won the big the Pac-12. It's in the one game that USC lost, they lost by one point when a team went for two at the end of the game. The Utah game. Yeah. So it's a compelling argument. If uh if LSU gets in over USC, there's gonna be some uh memories of 03 and I mean the, yeah. the 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 five L, the five USC fans that exist might go riot in Baton Rouge, you know. <laughs> I don't think that anybody from USC wants any part of Baton Rouge. <laughs> and, I, and I know where campus is at USC. It's a beautiful campus right near the hood. I get it, but they don't want the smoke. Don't try to bring your lowriders into Baton Rouge. Uh, no, that, that, that is not going to go well for you, folks. Well, we're um, out of time. Uh, appreciate joining us as always. Have a great Thanksgiving, my friend. Thank you. Uh, Check out the Coach Bodo's podcast and uh, O'Connor Advisory Group. Bo, thanks for joining us. We'll uh, talk to you next week. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Tom. You guys be good. Final segment before we go. It's our Tom Fulry story of the week where Thomas Bridges is standing by with something ridiculous happening in the world. Tom, where shall we go to this time? Jones, we're going to the great state of Texas. We're going where the moon shines bright. Um, your Texas, leave me in Texas. All right, we are going with a Texas woman. It's like, like I said, this comes from CNN, your favorite site, your favorite news outlet, CNN. Um, Texas woman arrested after smuggling endangered spider monkey in a box. She claimed held beer. This comes from Sunday, November 20th. CNN, talk about monkey business. A Texas woman entered entering the U.S. told border officials the wooden box in her car was filled with beer. In reality, it was an endangered spider monkey she planned to sell. The 20-year-old woman pleaded guilty to smuggling wildlife into the U.S. without first declaring and invoicing it and fleeing an immigration checkpoint after a month-long investigation, according to news released from U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement. She attempted to enter the U.S. from Mexico through the Gateway International Bridge in Brownsville, Texas, on March 21st, the release stated. Officers noticed a wooden box with holes inside her car, which she claimed contained beer she had bought in Mexico. However, when officials opened the box, they discovered a live spider monkey. Officers then referred the woman to a second inspection, but she sped off instead. Later that day, officers discovered online sales listing for the spider monkey with the woman's phone number, according to the release. The woman turned herself in on March 28th, according to the release. The monkey was recovered and placed in an animal shelter center in Central Florida. 
The woman will be sentenced on January 25th, 2023, the release noted. Smuggling in an endangered species for commercial gang is a tragic crime against nature's precious resources, said Craig Lorby, acting special agent in charge of Homeland Security Investigation San Antonio. HSI takes every opportunity to join our federal, private sector, and international partners to share our knowledge, experience, and investigative techniques designed to protect and preserve threatened and endangered species. There are seven, seven, several species, seven species, sorry, of spider monkeys found across Central and South America, according to the World Wildlife Fund. Officials did not specify to which species the recovered spider monkey belonged. Jones, you're smuggling in. If you had to pick, if you had to pick one, you had to cross the Mexico border into the U.S. and you had to smuggle something into the U.S. What are you smuggling? Spider monkeys, or what? What's your smuggle choice here? So, you know, I, my mind immediately went to this, and I would bet yours went to this too, Tom. So, you heard me read it. <laughs> you know where it went. <laughs> <laughs> so, we, uh, we have a source. We won't out the source because, you know, we, we if you've listened to this show, you've heard us say this before, <laughs> but we don't want this person to have their operation <laughs> stopped, okay? But we uh, we have been known over the years to order some jerseys overseas. <laughs> and uh, we've done so by having to make purchases on, like, DHgate for basketball shorts or knee pads or whatever it may be. Lingerie was one of them. I haven't had to do that. I guess you have. Oh, yeah, and I got then, the gray one time. And then uh, we make our purchase, and our very authentic, real-looking football jersey comes through. And, you know, it's a great thing to have. And, you know, I mean, uh, I guess I, I, I was trying to get some jerseys a couple weeks ago, and uh, – our source here uh, now takes PayPal, so I don't have to do the DH gate stuff anymore um, if I don't want to. But I, I feel like just as a, a good measure, a good ode to things, like I probably should still do the DH gate route just because. So I guess my answer, Tom, as a smuggler, uh, if you want to call <laughs> us that, uh, I love the cheap jerseys that we, we get for, you know, 75, 80% off the actual retail price. Yeah, why would you spend 110, 120 when you could spend 28, 29? Right. And they look just as real. They look just as real. You usually have to order a size bigger because they can be a little snug. They do come with Nike tags, though. They come with the full tags. That's the thing that's hilarious to me. Like, are they a legit thing or do they do they forge that too? I don't know. It's be, dude, you know, it's one thing to sew a jersey up. It's another to get the official Nike tags, which, you know, Nike's been under fire. Not not even I mean, recently, but just for a long time in terms of, like, Chinese slave labor. Right. Like, 
is is our is our friend that ships us the jersey is I'll give you a hint. Is she in a slave shop? Is she in a sweatshop? I want to know. You know. I would hope not. I hope not. This, to be fair, folks, this is this is a lady that me and Jones have contacted and talked with, and and shared convo with uh, for for a decent amount of years. We've actually even invited this person, which we believe is a she, onto the show, which was declined. Um, you know, maybe you could say it was a slow week if we didn't have another guest on, but, uh, this this person has been so, um, instrumental in our lives in terms of dropping cheap swag that, uh, she would deserve a spot on the show. Yeah, Uh, I think so. Um, you know, with, with the custom box with the holes in it that they were smuggling a spider monkey over in I, I think we could get some leeway from the customs agents if if you're getting a fake Patrick Mahomes jersey and I'm getting a fake Aaron Donald jersey I think we get a little bit of leeway, leeway there I would hope I think so um, I don't know what the hell I would do with the spider monkey uh, take it to Ricky Bobby's house or Blades of Glory or whatever movie that's from, but yeah, I don't I don't know what I would do with a spider monkey either. Besides, sell it. And and this lady has the audacity to say, "Oh, it's a beer." I'm like, "Well, listen, lady. Uh, for one, why don't you have it in the cooler? Two, uh, what? I'm if I found out that." The coffee that I drink from the coffee company that has been somewhat, I don't know, it's not been that bad recently. Um, if I found out that I was, I don't know, it's, it's, it's weird, Jones. If, I, if I'm supporting slave labor, if I'm supporting, you know, some super illegal activity, sex trafficking, anything like that, I might be hesitant to say, well, better hold back but saving money I, I do feel like the conversations we've had with this person have been okay and it's not a live animal we're just literally getting a jersey I feel more comfortable now now if this if this uh, lady that we talked to on the reg to get jerseys shipped a spider monkey over then I'm terrified I, I, well, I don't even know what I would think. Imagine you order a Patrick Mahomes jersey. You already have one from this person. Imagine if A&S store um, <laughs> ships over your Patrick Mahomes jersey, but she ships it in a box that has a spider monkey on it, and the spider monkey's wearing your Patrick Mahomes jersey. Right. And then what? Do you keep it as a pet? What do you do with it? Do you surrender it to a zoo? I've I've seen people in bigger cities. Jones, you're in Dallas. Um, you know, when I was in Bartlesville, I even seen this. Some guy had a pet monkey. I, I don't ask me the etymology of things. I, I don't know if this is a spider monkey or not, but it was a decent-sized monkey around this man's neck, and he was taking it into convenience stores and things like that. But you know, it, it there comes a time where 
do you ship a live animal from China or from even from Mexico, even in a box with holes? Where, where do you draw the line in terms of animal abuse between animal abuse or I'm just shipping fake jerseys? Like, you know, I, I, I don't know the line there. I, you know, I don't know the other country's culture or tactics when it comes to customs and, you know, are you more in trouble for shipping a live animal like you should be? Or are you more in trouble for shipping a jersey uh, with a badly sewn patch on it? Right. That's why it's Tom Fullery. I, I, I don't... This lady came over with a box with holes in it, said it was beer... For one, even if it was beer, why would it need holes in it? Like, you know, I, I, I had a a teacher in high school. Oh, I yeah. uh, I got I got in trouble with I I uh, I had cheated on a, a project, and uh, I was like a freshman in, in high school, just an idiot. And uh, I remember my teacher had called my mom and said, I hope your son isn't wanting to go into a life of crime because he would be the first one caught. Um, (laughs) And like this right here, I mean, like holes in a box in a live animal, like no duh. Yeah, I mean, at least, like, smuggle it into, like, one of those, I don't know, that did not mention the kind of car. Was it, like, a truck bed with a cover over the top, or did they legit smuggle a spider monkey in, like, a in a minivan or something like that? Yeah. And it, you, would, you would think it had to be in, like, a pretty decently well-put-together box. Right, like it couldn't just be a a shoebox that you're putting a spider monkey in. By the way, uh, earlier you were asking uh, the uh, movie quote, Talladega Nights. Uh, it's one of uh, Ricky Bobby's kids. Uh, it was either Walker or Texas Ranger that says to the grandpa, uh, Reese. I'm going to come at you like spider monkey. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. I thought you were going the Ricky Bobby route or I thought you were going with the fake Jersey. Oh yeah. But you could have went both. Yeah. You could have went I did both. Go both today. Cover both you know, like, you know, with, with the state of this country and, you know, we want to remember Heron Bay, you know, from Cincinnati zoo. You know, I miss Harambe. Harambe, Harambe, Harambe. Uh, either way, RIP. Does that how how much how much does a full size gorilla sell for? And then how much does a spider monkey sell for? If you're willing to put your ass on the line to smuggle a spider monkey over in a in a box with holes in it for it to breathe. A spider monkey, I would assume, on the black market, I guess, has to smuggle over for a little bit more than it's worth getting caught, I would assume. 
I think so. I, I don't know. We've never been to the spider monkey business, so. Yeah. Not yet. Yeah. The life of crime was not for me, Tom, but I've uh, I've made my way around beating the system in other ways, in legal ways. There you go. And that's more my my route. But nonetheless, we got to get out of here. Uh, hope everybody has a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I love Thanksgiving, my favorite holiday. Uh, a lot to be grateful for. Uh, so much to be thankful for. You know, I, I was thinking in my own personal experience, Tom, just looking back at, at this year, you know, I, I've kind of taken on the mentality of Geno Smith for the way 2022 has gone. They, they wrote me off. I ain't right back, though. I mean, just from, <laughs> just from a personal standpoint, with some of the adversity, some of the challenges where I'm at now, like I look at a guy I cover now and Gino, I'm like, yeah, that's me right there, too. I'm with you, Gino. Um, so certainly grateful and just thankful for that, how this year's gone and the way things have played out. And looking forward to finishing out strong here these the next few weeks. As always, subscribe to the show. New episodes out each and every week. We're here with you a little bit early because of the holiday, but we'll be back to our normal Thursday schedule next week. Uh, new episodes out on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on uh, social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Tyler Jones Live, at Thomas underscore Bridges, uh, Tom's at Instant Thomas on Instagram, and uh, Studio Soapbox on Twitter and on Facebook, Jones underscore Report on Instagram. You can find us there as well. Big thanks to uh, Matt Zemick for joining us, as well as Coach Bo and you, the listener, as well. We'll see you right back here for another edition of the Jones Report next week. For Thomas Fritz, I'm Donald Jones. Thank you so long. Thanks for joining us. Happy Thanksgiving.